Historic railroad worker double crossover. And uh, Quentin, I know you thought you're going to get out of it, but unfortunately, I'm going to make you give me your review of Full Gear, top to bottom. Uh, you ready? You ready for this? Um, <laughs> William Regal is a really bad guy, man. I don't know, <laughs> man. Just yeah. who could have seen it coming? Oh. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, did you end up? Did you end up even watching the show? Yeah, I did watch it. Okay. All right. And we are joined uh, for his best of seven appearances on the podcast by the JML. Jay, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me once again. Um, Just like just like old times. I've gone on other podcasts uh, in the meantime, but it's back to be back to be home, I guess. Yes, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. All right, Quentin, I don't know if you listened to the podcast I did with Dan, but uh, there was a couple things I threw out there. Number one, my fantasy booking of where they go with William Regal, I thought was much better than where they ended up, even if I thought that that opening segment of Dynamite that they did was really good um, with the drama between all of them. But the other one, and Dan kind of, he gave me a little something, but I don't know how much he, he, uh, he really sunk his teeth into it. But what do you think about... I don't know. Again, I don't know if you listened, but the idea that I made about AEW kind of being a regional promotion, even though it's a, uh, you know, a national company and kind of basing where they kind of are booking a lot of shows around who their top star of the moment is. Did you kind of hear me break that down? Yeah. Okay. That's, um, I thought that was interesting. And I think that I totally see and can understand where that will come from too. Just be like it makes it makes a lot of sense and isn't a bad way to book your promotion either, especially because you want those places to feel like they're special and to make and to make them feel like you care. So why not kind of cater to cater cater to that a bit? So I was with I was with you there. I feel like if people wanted to do maybe some more digging into it, they could try to poke holes in it. But I totally see where that was coming from. All right. Thank you. Jay, did you did you hear it? What do you think? Um, yeah, I'm kind of in agreement there. Like, um, full disclosure, I was contemplating on going to full gear. I mean, I live in New Jersey and I'm about 20 or 30 minutes away from Newark. So to me, um, I was honestly thinking about it because it's it's so local and um, AEW comes around here basically i know it's based it's to me to a lot of people it's a chicago-based promotion if you want to do local but for me they come around it's, it looks like three or four times a year for for me 
in my area. So I was I was thinking about it, but then I thought it's a long running time. It's a long pay review, and um, downtown Newark driving into downtown Newark is a bitch. So um, yeah, for me, I stayed home and watched it. So, but yeah, I I totally agree that it's it. You got you have points that it's, it could be a local promotion. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it looks like they're on the precipice of starting the new, you know, West Coast leg of this with the elite as the the top stars. And it's kind of interesting looking at, obviously, something there's an announcement on one of the shows we're going to review tonight with Kenny Omega. Um, and just thinking about the crossover with New Japan, Kenny Omega, the West Coast, the shows that happen here with New Japan, you know, the, the New Japan strong running out of Southern California and Northern California, basically the Young Bucks connection. It's just it really looks like it's poised for that's where they're going. We'll see. But it really does feel like that. That makes sense to me. Um, either way, um, Quentin, have you been keeping up with the D.O. Grand Prix? Nope, was down for the count and okay. just just haven't got just haven't gotten around to it with the uh, with the date with the days that I miss being. Uh, sure. bedridden with some kind of sickness yeah and the finals are set but we'll we'll wait and maybe we'll do a, a catch-up and talk about the finals when they happen here in a couple of weeks um but i uh, just thought I'd i mean i mean, I don't really care about the spo- spoilers but like what was the finals oh okay so the finals are uno and um and yukio naya and uh oh really I think I was, you know, I don't want to take it too much of a victory lap here. I don't want to pat myself on the back, but I do think that coming into this, I did say Naya looked ready to break out, looked pretty good. And honestly, solid performances from Naya throughout the tournament. I think a lot of people, you could point to some of the matches and say, okay, you know, it's with people that are pretty good. So, you know, why, why wouldn't he have a pretty solid performance? But he looks a lot better than he did, you know, a year or two ago when everyone was saying basically he looked like he shouldn't be wrestling and everyone had kind of written him off and uh looks like he's he's ready to go here especially his last match clinching his block against taguchi um really great showing from him and obviously like i said that's going up against taguchi who's basically the only person who's in the conversation for wrestler of the year at this point um that's not moxley so so yeah uno obviously feels like the winner uh coming off of you know second place the kind of the rule where if you're second place one year you win the next year um but yeah that's a uh, naya and uno and it's kind of a big time showing for for naya here as he moves forward into taking getting a bigger spot on the card um so have you have you been keeping up? Because I just wanted to ask, like, well, have you have you yeah. felt about Yuki Onai's performances? Yeah, I uh, uh, yeah, I think that, like I said, I think he's looked really good um, for him. You know, he's not the best wrestler in the world, obviously, um, but stuff like the match with Hino, he looks really good doing a kind of a big guy big guy match similar to Higuchi match. Um, the match has, he, has Cannon, he looked like good like has he looked like good enough to like warrant? the spot in the finals to you or like, uh, like, like, about that. feels more like a project guy, honestly. Okay. And feels like a, maybe it's a little bit too soon, but that's probably why it's good that he'll lose. Um, yeah. so yeah, you know, it feels kind of like he's being put there, um, to have a hot run and then to lose in the end, but to have actually like kind of gotten a little feather in his cap to show that like he could, he could make it to this level and then go back down. So, I would say I'm not saying like, oh, he's the best wrestler in the world or he's great or he should win this and win the title, anything like that. But I'm saying that he looks acceptable. He looks 
he stands out in DDT in a way that's good and getting him the legitimacy, the legitimacy here and continuing to build forward. And the fact that he's improved so much in a couple of years just makes me say like, he's a guy that I think is worthwhile giving a push like this, even if it's a bit too soon, because he probably will grow into it. I'm excited, I'm excited to catch up and see what I think of some of these performances. Like I, he definitely wasn't, it wasn't the name I was expecting to hear. Paired off with Uendo there, but I'm we'll definitely come back and review the finals because that's that's a big spot for him. Big spot for Uendo too. Obviously, yes. not his first time being there, but we're in a spot where he's going to win that and then go on to have a big match with presumably Higuchi at Judgment, then that's kind of a that's a that's a, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, it feels like it's time, obviously, for him to get that big match. Um it doesn't feel like it's time for Higuchi to be dropping the title, though. So it does make you kind of go, eh, should Ueno get this this title shot and lose? But at the same time, like, yeah, why not? Um, and Naya did beat Higuchi in the, you know, the block deciding match. So he can get a title shot off of that without needing to win the tournament. So it does make all the sense that Ueno wins. Um, Jay, have you kept yeah, that up on any be, of this? Yeah, oh, go ahead. That, like, mostly that could be like, because if you want to hold up on Ueno and Higuchi till judgment which is usually in march you could try to do um Higuchi versus naya at either never mind or sweet dreams which yeah. is either january or february i think i think they're i think they're both yeah i think they're both in january and february so you could do Higuchi and naya at one of at one of those i think um is a is a max bump another one of those early in the year shows too so Either way, either way, you have a couple. You have a few different stops before you have to do uh, Higuchi versus Yuano. I feel like, and because it's such a big match, of such a protected match, that you could make it all the way to Judgment. But like I'm thinking, well, they've kind of protected protected Higuchi Hiroshima. What if they tried to do that? But I don't think so. Yeah. I think that Higuchi. I think Higuchi Yuano probably is the Judgment main event, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. And then I think, you know, you mentioned it there. I mean, it could also end up being some kind of tag match with other people involved or whatever. But um, when you talk about like it's a big show and it's judgment and as we're talking about like Naya, maybe not quite being there, needing someone who's a good partner for him to have a match that's really solid. Um, If you have soup, you know, Takashita coming back for judgment, you I think you do Naya and Takashita and do something similar to what you did with Higuchi and Takashita. And Naya doesn't have to win, but something similar to to Takashita and, and Higuchi, where it's a Takashita really trying to make Naya look as good as possible there. Um if he is, like I said, a project guy that I think that they really should get behind because he has the crossover right. He is actually, I think, relatively famous outside of the wrestling world because of his background and his uh his legacy. And then also, like I said, he's got a unique look and, and a unique style, and he's gigantic and and someone who could stand out for the company. So why the hell not try to get something out of him? No, I'm with, um, I'm with, Jay. I'm with, that, oh, with that for sure. No, no, no this Jay, is you disagree. Sure, sure. Jay, is, did you, have you followed any of this? And is there anything else you want to talk about before we get into the shows that we're here to actually review? I have not seen a second of DDT this year. Um, I'm okay. sorry about that, but okay. I'm probably going to wait until maybe December to give a probably have a quick catch up. You know, there's just so been so much wrestling um, just this year, and and you know, we usually talk about Stardom. Stardom is going to have 
26 pay-per-views <laughs> this year alone. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm so, so behind on other wrestling. Um, like, I haven't even watched, like, uh, SummerSlam yet. <laughs> so, and I probably won't even get to it. So, yeah, I'm, not, um, I'm not sure I've seen a single, man, I'm not even sure what from WWE I've even seen this year. Like, right. this is for sure the least I've ever watched in my whole life, <laughs> which I'm, which I, mean, I already wasn't, like I really hadn't been watching for the past few years, but I think I've reached a record low with WWE, yeah. which you know it sucks right now. But um, well, no, according to everyone, it's back and it's good now. Oh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's funny because this might be the year that I've watched the most WWE that I've watched in a pretty long time because I actually watched that full uh, UK show. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, and that's oh, like I the did, only. I did watch Extreme Rules. I did watch Extreme Rules. Okay. I, I didn't watch SummerSlam, but I watched Extreme Rules because I just put it on just as background noise on a Saturday night. Uh, so, we know, like, we know, we know you watched it because you're a big Bray Wyatt fan. Come on, yeah, of you course. Were looking to see Uncle Howdy. Um, uh, I guess, okay, I guess, yeah. So, I guess, oh, I'm going to ask before we got into the other, I guess, like the actual wrestling review portion. I guess, did you want to okay, talk about... Wait, hold on. Before you get into Kanye, um, can I <laughs> talk about Regal? Um, did you hear or see any of the Regal stuff? Mm-mm. mm-mm I didn't. Okay, I so did, the... and I'm, I'm, oh. I'm really confused. So, here's the thing that I think gets look, overlooked or no one's mentioning, um, because people are like, where is this coming from? It doesn't make any sense. Okay, there was an angle on Dynamite, and, you know, obviously there was an angle coming out of the pay-per-view, and Ambrose told Regal, you know, walk and just keep walking. Don't ever come back or whatever. And uh, and he did. And he left and blah, blah, blah. But uh, then I, th- I think that the story really comes from not from necessarily just that, but that Triple H turned around and tweeted out a gif of Regal announcing war games on NXT and said, like, it just doesn't feel right without, you know, whatever. And then that gif. And I think that was a lot of what started the people kind of with the suspicion that Regal was going to show up at war games. So it wasn't just that he, you know, the angle on dynamite, but I think nobody's wait, mentioning wait, wait, that, the wait, that H was a, part of it. Wait, that was a, that was a thing. Yeah. And pe- so people thought, Oh, he's going to show up at war games. And then it turned into like, Oh, whether you know, it's not that he's going to show up at war games, but he is leaving and he is going back to WWE. And then that turned into a story that everyone was talking about. And then it what? turned into, well, there's no way that's true. Cause his contract's not up. And then Dave kind of reported it. That there's something to it, but there's nothing to it, basically, which is that there is talks, there's some kind of negotiations, but at the moment, there's absolutely no reason to think that Regal would be leaving anytime soon. But there's clearly interest and there's conversations, which to me sounds like, I don't know, maybe Regal thinks like the storyline and what he was doing in AEW TV is over and he'd rather just go back to working behind the scenes in WWE now that Triple H is in charge. And Tony Khan somewhat agrees with him, which is not crazy. And that's the thing. It's like people say, oh, you set a precedent, right? Oh, you can't do this kind of thing because just letting him out of his contract because he wants to sets a precedent. And it's like, no, it doesn't. It sets a precedent that like in a situation, Tony Khan's going to do what he thinks is best for all parties involved. And that doesn't mean that every time someone asks out of their contract that they are allowed to get it because, you know, somehow you I mean, talking about setting a precedent in the world where the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus, Roe versus Wade is kind of like, what the fuck are you even talking about? Like the top legal sanctioning body in America doesn't even care about precedent anymore. Who fucking cares about contracts in wrestling? 
like the guy can do what he wants. But yeah, that was kind of the story with all that. That's 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 weird. That's really weird. Um, even if there is smoke to the Regal wanting to leave thing, I mean, duh, he was a high-ranking guy in WWE for a long, long, long time, and it was a gig that I would assume that he enjoyed. That he, assume that he enjoyed. Uh, I guess the one thing would be all right. It, it would kind of look bad if that was the case because you just had this guy involved in the finish of a world title match. So you kind of want to get more mileage and more use out of whatever story they're telling or you or uh, or what they're using Regal for at this point in time. If that means he's going to manage MJF or whatever, like, like something like that, that you would ideally get more mileage out of that than just the fact that the, that the pay-per-view happened in a promo on Dynamite. So I, I so if that was true, then I feel like not just for Regal getting out of the contract as if it would be such a big blow to the company, but for the fact it just looks bad when he was just in one of the biggest angles that the company's going to run the entire year. So, I mean, if there's nothing, then there's nothing. But even the idea that something like that would happen where a guy could have been involved in the biggest angle that the company's going to run all year and then just be gone and appearing on another pay-per-view would have, would have been a really strange thing, but it made yeah. no sense to begin with anyway. Right. Well, I guess, Jay, feel free to add in there before I just jump in with more. No, no. The, the only thing I, I said I was really confused because uh, it was first supported that he had a three-year deal. Now he has a one-year deal. Um, it's similar to what's going on with FTR. Like, uh, I know the Fightful Select said with FTR, they are their contracts are up April 2023, whereas they don't know. Like, it was previously reported that their deals were up last year. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's like people. I, all the, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, people are just guessing about how long people's contracts are, and that's kind of obvious, and it does make it hard to take any reporting seriously. Um, but what you're talking about there, Quentin, actually, something did cross my mind, which could be, you know, maybe it's part of the negotiations, maybe it's trying to work something out here, but, I mean, it would be fucking unprecedented and very crazy, but if Tony kept Regal under contract as a performer and let him work as an employee behind the scenes at WWE uh, would be probably the craziest thing if he just had him show up. If it was basically like, we just want you to show up every now and then for this MJF thing. And he's like MJF's, you know, confidant, evil, like over overhead guy who only shows up every now and then and is not a day-to-day employee. Like, would that be nuts? I'm like, yes, it would, but it wouldn't be like it wouldn't be like so unfeasible. And then the other part of it is like, how would all of this play into the MJF free agent storyline? That's clearly something. It's clearly a story here. And if MJF has this connection to Regal, and Regal now has this some some something's going on there, smoke, fire, whatever. With WWE, and then you're talking about MJF is going to leave for WWE at the end of 2023. Like, I, I don't know. How does all this stuff work into the same thing? Like, is this all just a big elaborate work and it's all part of the same thing? Or is it not a work and it's all 
actually like weird palace intrigue it's it's pretty good but it does feel like at the end of the day like it does this draw money i don't know if this draws money you know not the regal portion i don't the regal portion like does anything i do think there's something to the mjf work shoot stuff and i feel like there's always going to be intrigue there because mjf just has been a guy who can reel you in so from that aspect yeah but but regal i have no i have no clue like just like it, like don't what does it fucking shock me at all that william regal might want to go back to wwe no right. I, he, he he probably didn't want to leave in the first place he got released he got fired yeah. Like the dude didn't right. want to, the dude didn't want to leave in the first place. So of course, it wouldn't shock me that he might want to go back. Just like other wrestlers that got released during that point in time, and then they went back to the company. Like, why would I be surprised that Dakota that that Dakota Kai would want to go back to WWE? Even if I want to, even if I wanted to see her somewhere else, that that woman didn't want to get fired. That woman, yeah. that, that woman didn't try to leave. The woman didn't put in for her release. She got fired. So, if that guy who's a Pretty much a WWE lifer at this at this stage in his career, and has a job for life if he wants it, or so we thought had a job for life. And especially now that Vince set up, of course that guy, of course that guy probably wants to go back to WWE. Like just like like that, like I don't know why that would shock anybody. Yeah, and I mean he was there for years, waiting for this moment, waiting for this time when Triple H is in charge. And now it's happening. Yeah, he's, he's not there. He's 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 triple he's triple H's Pat Patterson or like or Briscoe. Like that's yeah. what like that's what he is. That's what he was supposed to be. He was supposed to be there at the right hand to Triple H when Triple H was in charge of the company. And like now he's just he's in he's in AEW when Triple H is finally in charge. And it is kind of like, yeah, why the fuck would he not want to go back and finally live out what he was working towards for years? So yeah, um, I guess that's it. Any other thoughts, Quentin? Or feel free to uh, <laughs> to talk about whatever it was there you were going to bring up. Uh, no, we're good then. I just I was just going to bring up. Um, so they announced it on the historic uh, historic crossover, but Omega versus Osprey getting announced in a video package that they do for Kenny Omega uh, making his challenge to Will Osprey. Um, building to it for a while now their first singles match since pwg uh an event that i'm gonna uh, like for the sake of, i feel like you're probably at that event right also sure was yeah and, yeah so, uh, the, so the first kenny's best match of the weekend was against speedball but you know whatever the match was good it, 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 yeah it was, the speedball match is better um but their first single but their first singles encounter since all-star weekend all the way back in 2016 Super, super duper long time in the making. One of like the rare, actually protected matches in wrestling that just happens to involve two people that are immensely unlikable. Uh, so well, what did you think of them announcing Kenny and Will for Wrestle Kingdom? And is Kenny and Will a big enough match for you personally to have you excited to watch the show? Uh, Jay, go, feel free to to go ahead with, with your thoughts. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, for me, um, Osprey and Omega—that's it's probably the biggest like match on a Western standpoint ever since Omega Jericho. Um, I think the think them doing this now was a really it's a really big jolt of what New Japan needed. 
Um, I saw a lot of people saying that the you know the main event was going to be stale in terms of Okada and and Jay White, even though they have a history in the dome of just having really great matches. So, um, but for for a Western standpoint, um, it hasn't really been a lot to look at with New Japan in terms of going into the dome. And even though like uh, Chris Charlton and Kevin Kelly said like they're they're selling out a lot of a lot of passes um to to Western fans because they're gonna expand um restrictions or or kind of lift the restrictions that you know that were replaced in the last last two years for the dome. Um but for but for the Western fans, I think this match needed to be made. It's going to bring a lot of AEW fans, AEW-centric fans into watching New Japan again. And this is what absolutely needed to be be done. Um, and I'm for me personally, I'm, I'm excited to see it. And um, yeah, like I didn't I didn't see the PWG match. So this is going to be fresh for me. And um, Osprey, <laughs> he's he's a walking four star match, <laughs> you know, Um I, you know, some a lot of people hate um, Osprey for for various reasons, and it's some of it's legit. Um, but I like watching Will Osprey wrestle. Um, it makes me a bad guy, whatever, you know. Um, and I like watching Kenny. You know, Kenny won me over um, when he was in New Japan. I wasn't the biggest fan of his until his New, J- New Japan work. So um, I'm really excited for this match, and and yeah. Um, I hope it does a good amount of business. Um, I have my thoughts of what, if they'll make this, uh, um, now that'll be later, but I have this sneaky suspicion that, um, that if this happened, this happened the year after, if this happened next year, instead of this year, um, New Japan would have made this a a, a actual pay-per-view, not just on New Japan World. I don't know if they're. I don't know if it's too late for them to pull this now, but to me, oh, I think yeah. if you put this on pay, to me if you put this on pay per view, like actual pay per view, um, instead of putting it on the streaming service, like people will buy it. Um, I don't. I don't think that's. I don't think it's going to be, unless the price point is just too crazy. But I think this is a big matchup, and and a lot of the, a lot of the native fans want to see this too. I mean, Kenny Kenny got a big reaction when the when the video popped up and. Um, for, for him, it's, it's, it's going to be, it's, it's a lot there. I'll just say that's a lot there or the terms of how he left the company and, and everything. And, um, yeah, to me, I'm, I'm real excited and interested to see this matchup. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right there and, and you're, you're correct. I think the only issue is that, you know, AEW maybe, uh, got, to. Uh, Jeff Jarrett under contract a little bit too late for them to switch this onto pay-per-view in time. Cause if you remember, he's the one who did the first uh, wrestle kingdom pay-per-view in America years and years ago. Um, so yeah, maybe they just, if they had gotten him under the, in the fold sooner, they could have pulled that off. But, um, but speaking of that, AEW has proven that the pay-per-view market in America has not been destroyed by the WWE network model um, because they've shown that if you do, quarterly you know big time events or even run eight i think they said this last year eight pay-per-view events that a big section of the fan base will buy them even at a 50 dollars price point which is like pretty high and it, again it, it 
it just shows the same thing that basically everyone said that pay-per-view is not dead if you just looked at any other combat sports except for wrestling but also at the same time tons of people said well wwe has made it so no pay-per-view can draw um it's just not true like the wwe network did not kill the market for that um, the biggest thing to me coming out of it, Quentin, I mean, I think that, yeah, I think this is the biggest match that they could book. I think it's honestly a gigantic match for the company. It's not just in America, not just for foreign fans, but in general. And a big part of that is from the promo that we get here, this, I don't know, maybe, maybe towards the end of his run in New Japan, he went to this more. But to me, speaking fluent, you know, Japanese like Kenny does and playing the babyface Kenny that became a gigantic star in Japan, um, against the heel like osprey that everyone there hates is like a yeah. huge fucking match coming yeah, it was, home it was, and, it was, it was, it was a, sorry to cut you up but it was, it was noticeable noticeable to me too like the first thing i noticed about the promo was the fact that kenny was talking in japanese yeah but you know he would do it sometimes in the go home promos but he would make make it a point to not talk japanese yeah so getting kind of the ddt star babyface star Kenny Omega in the New Japan coming home context, I think is a huge deal and could probably be a big time drawing match. Again, not just for American fans to get interested in, but also native Japanese fans, because this is like a homecoming for Omega. Like Omega, I mean, it really is like you can say whatever you want about Omega now in the AEW you know, and his roots being in Canada and all this and that. But Japan was where Kenny Omega became Kenny Omega. And, and sure, I was a fan of Kenny Omega before he wrestled in Japan, um, you know, and, and I watched him and followed him and all that stuff. But like not a lot of people did. And most people, their first exposure to Kenny Omega was going to be wrestling in Japan. And so like it's a huge deal for him to be coming back and again, embracing the culture, embracing his roots as being a weeb and speaking Japanese. And here's the thing. I heard some people talking about it and I said, oh, that doesn't, you know, it's business. It doesn't. But then I thought, you know, when Kenny got, you know, whatever it was, when he got sent home, when he was suspended, all that, the first thing he did was still fly to Japan on a trip. And they were posting pictures of him hanging out with Ibushi. So what do you think about this kind of pointing to the idea that things have to be at least somewhat smoothed over between New Japan and Ibushi? Because Kenny wouldn't. Mm -hmm be working with them if they were still contentious because of how close they still are. Like I said, well, the first time I heard someone say that, I thought that doesn't make any fucking sense. But then I thought about it a little bit more and realized like the second Kenny had free time, he went to go spend time with him. So they're obviously still close. Yeah, that, 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 that is a good point. That is a good point. Cause especially cause the Ibushi and new Japan stuff was so public that, that, that definitely has to be at least, Somewhat of a factor, obviously, just because your friend is going through something doesn't mean that you also necessarily feel the exact same ways. But that that would that would be that would be that could be an like a encouraging sign that maybe things between Ibushi and New Japan aren't as bad as they as they were last year. And you know, if we're doing this, Kenny and the Elite versus Will Ospreay and United Empire stuff wouldn't be a bad spot for uh, for Ibushi to return in if you were to do a big tag, eight-man tag or whatever somewhere, whether it was in Japan or in the States, and have Ibushi be the be a surprise tag partner. For, and I, I, don't, I, I think the table's definitely set there for if the relationship is moved over for Ibushi to come in and be inserted into a uh, 
the elite versus you know, the Empire program. Yeah, I mean, if you got Kenny and Osprey, and then you get uh, Abushi and Great Okan kind of reprising some of the stuff that they've done together, I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, or or Abushi, Abushi and Cobb. Abushi and Cobb have been interesting together. That's true. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, yeah, the elite I mean, would be big baby faces in that role. I mean, um, especially now that Gallows and Anderson are are not, you know, they're going to finish up in New Japan, but they're not going to gonna be around longer. You know, they're right. with WWE now. So, um, yeah, the elite, the elite, and, you know, Golden Elite will be baby faces. And in the young, in the young bucks in Aussie Open is an extremely, extremely fresh. Yes, pairing as far as tag team, as far as like the tag team side goes, you know, even though I don't think you could do Cobb and Ocon versus the Bucks, Aussie Open and the Bucks, which never, which never got to happen, uh, because of because of injuries, and then with and then with COVID, it just never got to happen, which is something that they were obviously building towards in PWG. I think might have outright been booked at the Globe once or. Somewhere just I can't just, remember just, what that match was, but I do remember that match, and I remember I vividly remember that because I saw Ozzy Open walking down the street. Oh my god, this is! I feel like, I it, was I Aussie, I feel, I feel like it was Ozzy Open versus the Bucks. It might have been Ozzy Open versus the Bucks, or Ozzy Open versus um maybe Lucha the Bros. Rascals. No, Rascals. It might have been the Rascals. Might have been the Rascals, but I don't they were remember. Tag, but, yeah. they were tag champs. Yeah, they were, they were champs, the champs at the time. Yeah, yeah, but. But okay. it's possible. But I, the Bucks match, I think was on was on the table at some point as well. well yeah, of course, oh. of course, it was. Yeah. So, so yeah. like, like, so basically, that's a that's a matchup that has been out there. People have been waiting to see for like yeah four years at this point, and obviously we've gotten glimpses of it with the six man with the six man tag, but that's still that's still out there too. So. I don't know. I think there's still plenty of juice left in the, in the elite versus United Empire for sure. Yeah, no, no. There's there's a ton there, and you can do it in New Japan and in AEW, and yeah, that's a. It's just you're really just scratching the surface on this, especially with you got the backstage story thing with Kenny Omega saying during the talent meeting that he wouldn't have hired. Uh, Osprey or whatever, like that little dig that's there that you could say it was a work or it was a shoot, whatever. But yeah, there's there's a ton there. Um, I guess we should get into these shows, especially because I said shows there, um, and we've already been going for a, a minute. The Moneyball show, I don't know, how, or not Moneyball, the Gold Rush show, I don't know how much you want to talk about this. Um, um, but I mean, honestly, I feel like there's probably more to talk about with that show than there is. Really? Uh, cr- cross crossover. Really? Because crossovers are, like there's stuff on it, but it's a bunch of a bunch of like fun, like it's fun, but it's a bunch of tags and like, sure. like I like it for like the novelty aspect of it. So I'm not down. I'm not downplaying it, but I feel like okay, there probably okay. is a little bit more to talk about with it. Uh, Gold Rush. I'm not sure if JML agrees. I'm not sure. And I'm even saying that there's a bunch that there's a ton on either show. It just feels okay. like crossover that we got the big thing out the way. Which is well, obviously, other than the IWGP Women's Title match, but the big thing was the fact that they announced the semi-main event of the of Wrestle Kingdom on there. Sure. Uh, well, I guess Jay, what do you think between the two shows? Um, I mean, with Gold Rush, I think that show was probably more consistent, like 
good show. I mean, both shows were good, but it was more of consistently good show, and it had had and and it had implications um, down the road. Whereas um, with the New Japan show, um, with the New Japan Storm show, um, other than the two main events, which I think were better. Personally, I thought those two, the, not the semi-main event and the the main event, was better than anything on the Gold Rush show. Um, everything else was just like fun exhibitiony stuff, and I I was kind of worried that Muda's involvement was <laughs> going to be like an announcement of him versus Great Ocon at the Dome. Um, but um, and I don't think that's going to be the case, but. Um, I just I was listening to another podcast. I forgot the name of it, but um, it kind of got me thinking of another match that's going to happen with uh, with three guys. Like it's going to be a tag with Muda. I think it's going to be Muda, Muto, Tanahashi, Naito, and Sonata. Um, that's going to be the tag match of the Dome for them because um, none of them okay. are booked for the Dome. So. Um, yeah, I thought, but I honestly thought it was going to be Muda versus Okan because they kept promoting as Muda's last appearance, not KG Muto's last New Japan appearance, but Great Muda's last appearance. I was like, ah, it's going to yeah. be bullshit, and it's going to be it's going to be him versus Okan. But, um, but yeah, yeah like, then, um, yeah. Oh well, I was just going to say on that piggybacking off of that, or just referencing it in case maybe you didn't know or you hadn't heard. Uh, but Naito. Naito, just like he did the fucking uh, double dash where he set up like unifying the titles, he kind of has already talked about like when him and um, Sonata win the tag league that they want to rather than get their tag title shot at Wrestle Kingdom like normal to get their tag title shot at uh, New Year's Dash. So that would open them up to to not only win the tag league like, you know, but also, again, like you were just saying, to set them up to have that match on on the Tokyo Dome with with a uh, with Mudo, so uh, that was not that's not the craziest thing to 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 point that out. Yeah, and then um, just the rest of the show was more of just an exhibition. There's a store crossover, um, and also with that, like that that show was a pay per view show, so that's why the the pay per view concept got into my head and how. You know, if, if you've seen in the news, just how like st- the big streaming services um, in the U.S. have like taken a hit. So, and everybody's trying to revert back to either pay per view or cable TV type stuff. So, um, so yeah. But um, with Gold Rush, it's a really consistent show, and I really enjoyed that. Um, you know, usually. My philosophy with a good show is give me the consistent show instead of the uneven highs and really highs and really low lows of the shows. But I'm, it's splitting hairs because historic crossover is really good. So, um, but you know, yeah, I'm I'm sort of even on it. Sure, I I feel kind of like the people that I was calling out for their reviews of um uh, full gear last week with Dan, which is like the psychos who were saying that there was multiple matches of the year on that show and this and that for the show of the year. But like, I honestly came out of the crossover show with like a similar feeling. I think I have two matches on the show that I was like, kind of like, damn, honestly, probably more than that, that I kind of like came away with like 
feeling like they could be in my match of the year conversation, multiple matches on the show. And realistically, like kind of coming out of the crossover. And I that's what I'm kind of shocked at you guys takeaway. Cause to me, I was like coming out of the crossover, I kind of feel like this could be show of the year. For me, like I don't know. Like I thought that a lot of the matches on the undercard that would be just throwaway tag team matches actually felt like special and stood out because of the crossover nature of what was going on there. And it was very unique. And, and there was a, I thought that a lot of that stuff really fucking hit perfectly where the, and I guess you could say it's just kind of like, you know, cheesy character stuff and the in-ring took a back seat, but yeah, like to me, that's, it was insanely entertaining and I just came away with like a really great feeling coming out of the show and everything really delivered super well. And the chemistry between the the, the different acts um, first times interacting with each other, that was really enjoyable. Whereas like the Moneyball show, I won't say, like you said, consistent, I guess, but honestly, the, I thought that the tournament concept really hurt to me the, a lot of the show and, or at least like took up a big part of the show to do the setup for the finals. That was really just about the final. Like, I didn't get much out of the semifinal matches and then the final itself was really, really fun, but it was insanely quick and it was kind of like a stunt show. So I don't know, like that was kind of my, my takeaway on that to where like, I'm not saying that it, you know, it's bad or anything, but just, yeah, just didn't, um, did just felt like a lot of setup for an, a decent payoff, but like not necessarily like much to it. Um, and then otherwise, I mean, there was a couple really big singles matches that obviously really delivered. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Let's, I guess let's just get into the show. Um, open up, pre-show, three-way tag team match. Uh, you know, <laughs> I guess this was fine. Like, Jay, what did you think? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like it's. Um... <laughs> I think you're gonna talk me. It's funny because you talk and no, you, no. You, you were talking. You're, you, I think you're gonna talk me into thinking the Chris Store crossover was a better show. Um, yeah, the three way tag. It was, it was, it was what it was. And um, you know, we're walking. Um, and that's that's Um, they just got got their shit and getting one. And it was it was basically it wasn't wasn't um. I mean, that's the thing. It's um, with Stardom right now; they're going through tag league, so to put them over it was kind of uh, more of a statement to do that instead of, um, you know, it was it was quick, easy uh, showcase match for them, and sure. you know, just got out of there. Yeah, yeah. Again, like you said, it's like kind of a tag league showcase. Quentin, what did you think of the the pre-show three-way tag match? I thought Toro looked really good. That's pretty much that was my that was my whole thought. Obviously, it's a, a tag league showcase, but I thought Toro looked really, really solid here. Yeah. Uh, follow that up. High, C- high speed title, uh, Azumi and uh, Momoka Hanazona, Hanazuna, I guess. Um, I think I've you were seen right the first time. Yeah. Hanazona? Yeah. Hana- yeah. 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 Hanazona. Um, I've seen her, I think, maybe once before. I dig the gimmick, I dig, dig the vibe. Um, but uh, again, like match was quick. Um, it's not, you know, in the top level of um, of high speed title matches that we've seen recently. And just it feels like, unfortunately, the high speed division has kind of been cleared out and we're getting kind of Azumi versus 
you know, challenger of the month kind of situation and not really like the heights of that we got in the past where there was like big time rivalries with Natsupoy, uh, Kaguma and Starlight Kid all kind of busy doing other stuff. You're not really getting that same level of kind of um, just like I don't know how to put it, but the, the just like really, really familiar with each other and able to really deliver in this concept, um, which Azumi, again, is very good and able to pull this off well with just whoever the challenger of the month is. But you hit that next level when it's someone who they who she's been doing the matches with repeatedly and you kind of are able to showcase what this high speed title is all about. Um, Quentin, what do you think? Uh, I agree, but, but I agree mostly mostly with that point. Uh, you know, the high speed title for as much as we'd like it to, based off the quality of the of the performances and the wrestlers and matches that we've gotten from this, you'd like to view it as a secondary title or a sec- or, But like, the white belt exists, the tag belts exist, so the high speed title is down in the pecking order, and it's kind of something that you graduate from. You kind of gra- right. you kind of get to graduate from that high speed title, so but we're enjoying all these matches and seeing the Izumis and not Sapoys and Star Starlight Kids just go out there and tear it up. The goal is to graduate from that belt, and so I miss having a guaranteed four star banger on every show. You know, having having the high speed title there in the in the group of women that they had fighting for the belt, but. It's definitely in a transition stage right now. Uh, this wasn't anywhere close to the best high speed stuff we've seen, but I like Momoka. I like Momoka Hanazono a lot. I think that she's super fun, and I think that like when we see when we see her more, and uh, she's she's more if she gets more ingratiated into um, into um, uh, into the company because she's not signed there. She's free. She's freelance and. If she was someone that they did that they did sign, and she's super, and she is still a super young talent too, I could see I could see her being very very popular, fitting right into the right right into the roster uh, as stardom. But I think she's super fun. Yeah, Jay, what do you think? Uh yeah, and with with her, it was kind of important because she's from Osaka, and and the show was in Osaka, and also. Yeah. She's the niece of Super Delphin. So, um, uh, okay. Yeah. So there was, I believe there was a picture. I'm trying to remember when it was taken, but there was a picture backstage. You know, Super Delphin, you, uh, people don't know, New Japan, mostly New Japan fame. He came in and uh, came backstage and he said he got to watch her for the first time ever. So, um, so yeah, but with her, yeah, like like Tim was saying, it was kind of like, you know, the high speed challenger of the month. But if they're going to do that, um, hopefully for Sumo Hall, they could get, um, you know, Huzu, you know, Stars is not challenging for the trios championship, so maybe maybe something with Azuki, um, even though Azuki's had it before. But I'm thinking maybe make a deal with Marvelous to get me a Momono into into Sumo Hall and they have a match there and tear it up um, just because she's she's been doing well this year and yeah. um, I've got a I've got a stack full of matches and, and a list I got of me and momental matches I gotta catch up on but um, hopefully that will that will occur um, at Sumo Hall but yeah uh, with Azumi I mean she's 
she's consistent, but at the same time, um, I'm wondering when they're going to, I think we've talked about this before, when they're going to pull the trigger with her. Um, so because when I, when I saw her come out, I was like, oh, wow. Like, she's really got the presence down pat um, in terms of elevating. And it reminds me a lot when um, years ago, like in 2015, 16, when, um, when Mayu had the high speed belt, um, like she was, she was bursting ready to, to take over. And um, she just, in that in-between phase, you know, she wasn't ready for the white belt yet or the red belt. Um, so hopefully this this will pass and hopefully, you know, we're talking in a couple months in the Zoomies in title contention for, for the white or red belt. Yeah. Um, and I, as you said that, I remembered and I was like, oh, yeah, I, I heard that, that the uh, Super Delphin's niece was wrestling and I forgot who it was. So good reminder there. Um, the first of the semifinal Moneyball tournament matches, Donna Del Mondo versus Cosmic Angels. Um, this was solid, obviously, playing off of kind of the rivalry between Donna Del Mondo and Cosmic Angels. And it's kind of funny on the crossover because the um, the commentary, specifically Kevin Kelly, kind of kept talking about Donna Del Mondo versus Stars matchups and that there's like a big rivalry there. And, and maybe there is. And then I was thinking about it and I was like, well, and then there's also like obviously the, you know, sibling rivalry between Donna Del Mondo and... Uh, and God's eye. So then I'm just like, you know, cosmic angels, it feels like have the thing. And they were talking about stars and then God's eye. So I'm just like, Donna Del Mondo is just like the group that feuds with everyone basically. And, you know, so it's just like, it's weird to even talk about like their rivalry with a specific stable. Cause they're just like, they're have beef with everybody in the fucking company. Basically. Yeah. yeah basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know in 2020, they had a lot of, uh, um, trios, trios tags that went went time limit draws. So when they were doing that frequently, but um, but that was when you had a Tommy and and Shuri on as consistently in those tags. So that's that's what he's probably alluding to. Yeah, but that's like that, yeah, but that like whole, about that history. That's like that's, that feels like a whole different company ago. I know, I know. <laughs> Well, that was um, one thing on that commentary is that Kevin Kelly really did come across like he was reading off of notes about stardom that were maybe a little bit out of date. But Quentin, give your thoughts on the match. No, well, I mean it was fine. Um, I I did like how Donna uh, Donna Del Mondo looked. I thought they looked. So- I thought they looked solid uh, going in to the finals, and uh, like, I like the, I like their chemistry there, I like their intensity. But no, this is this was fine. Not 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 a much to write home about with these. Um, what either of these semifinal matches I felt like um, they weren't bad at all, and they're it's gonna be hard to have bad matches with the names that you have involved in this stuff. But clearly, they were waiting for the bigger spots later on in the night. Yeah, yeah, and I was oh, good. No, no, I was I was thinking with um, the thing that came to my mind when I was watching this was. Um, they have something with Waka. I don't know what it is, but they have something with her. They're continuing this losing streak, and every time like she kicks out, like the crowd kind of gas, you know. Um, and I don't know if they're waiting for like cheering to come back or whatnot, but um, she could be a really big baby face for them. Um, 
I don't know if she's she's playing ringer in terms of not being good in the ring, you know, holding her back or whatever, or is she just that not that good in the ring? Um, but if she's like playing like she's not, then she's going to be a huge, huge baby face for them going forward. Well, yeah, and it's funny because you talked about that, and you're right that Walker has a uh, is definitely has something there, and the crowd is going to be behind her. Um, but then people. <laughs> Uh, you know, I got I, I this is such a bad habit of mine, but I can't help it. Um, kind of having like a negative take on her on commentary during the crossover show, but it was like <laughs> her character is like a lovable loser, right? So being awkward doing English commentary and not really knowing what to say and kind of out of her depth really fucking makes sense, does it not? Like, I'm sorry, but that character should be like kind of out of sorts and a little bit like goofy and and not able to like respond well and all that. And a lot of people were just like, oh, it just comes across unprofessional. But I'm kind of like, well, it plays into the character. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she it's weird that she kind of when they were when Stardom was doing English broadcasts for on their own with um Stuart Fulton. Um, they tried a couple times with Waka, and, you know, she was a little uneasy then, but that was, like, her first time doing it. But she was she was more talkative um, compared to, you know, um, it had a store crossover. I mean, you kind of had to lead. I guess she was kind of going to lead in, and she was probably tired. I mean, you know, wrestling the night before and, and, and you know, going. I know they took a – I think they took a train – um, like one of the last trains in Osaka to go all the way to Tokyo. Um, it's not, it's not a, it's not th- that fast for trip. So, um, she's probably tired. Probably, you know, if she was playing to the character, she played it really well. Um, yeah. if she's not, then yeah, whatever. <laughs> That's Waka, you know. Yeah. The next semifinal match is God's Eye versus Stars. Um, uh, was it? Tomo Tomoka Inaba, uh, another great example of the just tap out uh, training school of, of awesome wrestlers. She looked great in here. Um, Hazuki looked fantastic in here and in the main event. And you talking about Hazuki challenging for the high speed and how she looked here on this night and how she looked on the um, the crossover show. I'm kind of like Hazuki should be like I talked about it during the um, oh God, I can't remember the is it the princess? What is the. What is the 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 singles um round robin tournament they just did can't remember oh uh, the five star grand prix yeah five star grand prix that's it um how i thought that it looked like they're like getting poised to like push her into something more and i really think that it, they should um hazuki's looking fantastic and not just her in-ring but also her her charisma her character and the way that she carries herself and i thought she looked really good in this and like i said also in the main event but um, yeah, this is like relatively quick, good match. Kaguma and her are great together, obviously, as a tag team. And then here in the trios with Mayu, who, you know, maybe I'm giving short shrift to Mayu, who deserves more uh, more attention for how good she was here. But again, the main event, all three of these girls, I thought really were the stars of the night, especially in the main event. Yeah, yeah. And when you mentioned with Azuki, um, it's funny. I don't know if you guys, did you guys uh, catch like the the stuff going around about um the YouTuber Fuachan. Um no. that wrestled wrestled in stardom. Okay, so um less than a month ago, uh Hazuki tagged with uh Fuachan, who is a popular YouTube 
YouTube star in Japan, and she's kind of crossing over into like, you know, the mainstream TV shows, talk shows in Japan. And um, she basically trained for a couple months for a, a wrestling match. Um, and she tagged with Hazuki versus Sai Kamatani and Hina of um, of Queen's Quest. And it was shown, like the full match was shown on Nippon TV on a TV show called Goretsu. And um, they showed her training and whatnot. But um, kind of, it was kind of interesting that Rossi would 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 put Hazuki there in that you know, in that spot compared yeah. to all the others. I mean, they put Saya, of course, you know, Saya is like the second, you know, in terms of the championship, she's, she's second, but, um, to put Zuki there, um, you know, to represent the baby face faction, basically going against Queen's Quest, even though Queen's Quest are not really heels, but, um, could be heelish. Um, I thought it was real interesting that, um, Rossi put Zuki there, um, to tag with Fua. Yeah. No, that definitely speaks to something there. And like I said, I think it's uh noticeable. It was noticeable to me in the in the Grand Prix. And um and Saya, you say Saya is number two, but I mean with the performance on this show, with what she does in the crossover, with the promos across the two nights, um, and with obviously the idea that maybe there was something bigger for her that was meant to happen on the crossover show that unfortunately didn't happen involving someone we talked about earlier. Um like she uh, to me i feel like rossi really sees something in saya so you're right there where like that was clearly that match the people that he put in the match were people that he sees something in yeah yeah, yeah. and you know it was it was like that in this match it showcased a lot of the, the the younger talent too in god's eyes so um you know that's that so yeah, this is it's interesting cuz god's eye it, to me feels like god's eye keeps adding members and keeps kind of adding solid members that are interesting because for a minute there, I think when they first kind of formed the faction, I thought that it was not really long for this world kind of faction. To me, it felt like the point was that, that, you know, Shuri was the champion and she needs to have, you know, her own faction to be the head of, but God's eye was not necessarily going to be like a major, you know, thing. But then now as they've continued to add members and move on, I'm kind of like, eh, maybe this is going to actually be a serious faction for a while. Yeah, yeah, because you have Mariah, and Mariah's got the big push this year. Yeah. Um, Ami, Ami's the future Storm champion. You got Naba coming in from Just Tap Out. It's probably going to eventually that she'll be full-time with Stardom. And then you have Konami, who pops in every once in a while. Um, you know, she's like a she's like a God's Eye affiliate you know to, yeah. to the to the gang basically so um yeah and i don't know if they'll they'll add any more um it'd be interesting to see there's someone i'm thinking about but i'll i'll just hold it for for right now and probably maybe that will happen it's either there's there's a person i'm thinking of that could be in either this faction or this neo stardom army um coming in next year but um yeah i think god's eye is going to stay for for a good amount of time Quinn, do you have anything to add to this meandering way too long review of this match no i don't at all it was a (laughs) it was a i I, I, I like the match but that's about it sure 
Um, all right. So, Quentin, what did you think about Oedo Tai versus Oedo Tai, the explosion of the, 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 the heel faction here? Uh, my heart is shattered a bunch of different pieces. I mean, no, I I like the Momo and Starlight Kid team. I think they, I think they're always super yeah. fun. Uh, I like seeing Fukigen, uh interact with both of them. Those that was that was that was good stuff to see. Uh, other 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 than that, though, no, I don't got a bunch to say here. Obviously, Momo and Starlight are poised to be big players in this uh, in the in the in the goddesses of Stardom Tag League. So, it, I, 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 like you know, with the other uh, stuff we talked about earlier with Tora in the pre-show and things like that, that this was just a showcase, and I think really sh- like just highlighting how good Momo and Starlight are, and that they'll be a force in the tournament. Yeah. Um, and yeah, having block matches from the tournament on the pay per view, this is this is almost as confusing as the uh, the the DDT the Do Grand Prix where they like had the show that's the the beginning and then night one and then the free show and, and anyways, it's like it's so odd the way that they do this, but it's interesting because it is kind of um, the same as the 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 five star Grand Prix where people were talking about oh God why is this tournament still going on or whatever it's like well they like they run the tours and they do the block shows, but then they also like sprinkle in block matches onto the big shows and the pay-per-views. And it seems to be, this is like the, the, the stardom kind of formula, which is like, there's these big round Robin tournaments, but rather than do what new Japan does, where they just like focus on them, they like mix in a lot of color and kind of elongate these tournaments to where they're just kind of there. So that random matches on on pay per views and big shows can have like some kind of meaning because they're part of a winning points, but the the but the tournament itself is not necessarily like a focus that you're just trying to get through. So you can elongate it, whatever. Um, Donna Del Mondo versus Nanai uh, Takahashi and you, um, Jay. What do you think of this? This match fucking rules. <laughs> like this yeah. match fucking rule. Like I, it's not. It's not like I, I said before that. Um, the, there were two matches on a sort of crossover that were better than anything on Go Rush, but this was. You know, I I love Nai and um, this match. I I, you know, I like you. Uh, always been a fan of hers. Um, going back to the TJPW days, I thought she was. I thought she was at one point the best wrestler they had, and I thought they would be in a bad, bad way when she left. But um, you have that, and then um, Mike and Emeka, who I, I love that tag team, and I wish they would be tag champs again. So um, just the hard hitting style, and um, and in the post post match, there was comments said that they might run this back again, and I hope I hope they do. I mean, this was. This was right up Mally. This I like this type 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 this style of wrestling. This is what I want all day yeah. every day. I, Give it to me. Yeah. Yeah, I love a just big monster mash tag team match here, just beating the shit out of each other. It was yeah, it was definitely it was definitely a lot of fun. Quentin, what did you think? I I love I love this. I thought it was super fun. It was really nice to see you, someone who I think is super underappreciated and. You know when you when you watch her on Sunday Girls and uh, the other other places that she might frequent, you see how awesome that she is. And ever since leaving TJP TJPW, you feel like no one really talks about her the way that she should, the way that they should. 
but she's but she's always really good and, su- and super consistent. So I would love seeing her, uh, obviously in the tournament and just here on the pay per view and getting a getting a really nice spot. But this is super. This is super dope. I like this a lot. Yeah, and uh, we'll we'll just we'll give you the pass here for representing this turf island tag team or this turf island championship and and having uh, a patch from that company on her tights. But uh, yeah, she absolutely rules. Um, <laughs> Wonder of Stardom title match. I'm, fr- I'm, fr- I'm trying to figure out who Turf who Turf Island is. Turf Island like is I England. Know, I, I feel like okay, but I feel like I is this does she have like an Eve, Eve. title or something? Yeah, she yes. came out with the Eve oh, International awesome. Women's title, and she even had like an okay. Eve patch on her tights. Yes, she like still she still represents Pro Wrestling Eve. Whenever like she yeah. gets announced, she's not like a freelancer. She's like, I'm from Pro Wrestling Eve. So. Really? <laughs> yes. I mean. Yes strange it's it's That's weird strange. because it's kind of like is that even a company anymore but it feels like she's just it's so that she's not just you know an unaffiliated freelancer it's like representing for something you know i'm not sure the, the company even exists but okay yeah. it's like when into the mid 2000s that super crazy still had uh his singlet that had ecw on it you know what i mean he's still repping for a company that's been out of business for like five years at that point or whatever you know she she did um, she did just she did just defend the eve international title uh yesterday at a on a ymz show perfect that makes sense so hey <laughs> yeah hey um Tari versus sayakamatani wonder of stardom championship this is where i was talking about that obviously they means they think something of saya because she does not lose to Kari here. She time limit draw. Um, especially because, I mean, it's, I mean, I guess it's for the title. So you don't want Kari to win the championship here, but you also didn't really need to book it, you know, book this match. Um, so it's kind of odd. Cause it is like you booked yourself into a corner where the only option was a time limit draw to make something out of, uh, uh, Kamatani. And I don't, I really don't know because I feel like there's people who kind of hate on Sai and it's people who I kind of agree with their tastes somewhat usually, but like I really do think she's one of the best wrestlers in the world, dude. I fucking love Sai Kamatani. I thought she looked amazing here. Um, Dark Kari is great, just kind of bringing bringing all of that like energy, but also like having her be injured, having the issues with the arm and everything that goes around with that, and and really being taken to the limit here against. I guess you could like argue like. Saya is not really at her level, but, but it's, you know, she's, you know, kind of hurt and she's not at her best. So Saya is able to stand toe to toe with her, but yeah. And then the post-match stuff with Saya and the promos and things where she's being very like definitive saying like, I may have not won, but I didn't lose. And I am without a doubt, the wonder of stardom champion. And then talking about moving on and basically talking about the, like, whatever fuck the red belt this is uh, this is the top championship in the company and i really love her kind of talking that way and just yeah i I absolutely adored this match i thought it was fucking great i thought it like again it speaks really big to to where saya is and and i don't know if saya is ever going to do the phoenix splash again which is kind of a bummer but we'll see where we go from there uh quentin what did you think so i have this thing where with with certain matchups at this point I'm always paying attention to a particular person just to see how they're growing, adapting, changing, adding things to the adding things to how, how they operate. So do I really do I really feel the need to even though even though she's back and uh working a new character, do I really feel the need to super 
analyze Kyrie all the time. Not a, not a, not at this point. So when she's in there with someone like Saya, Saya is who I'm watching. Saya is who I'm intrigued to see and how she does things. And like you said, am I am I one of the people that thinks Saya is the best wrestler in the world? Like, no, I don't think Saya is the best wrestler in the world. But I also think that sometimes in the circles of which we frequent, that Saya gets a lot of shit, and I enjoy her way more of the time than I don't it, like especially with the Kyrie stuff and I feel like the intensity that it has brought out of her recently I feel like this is the best works or some of the best work that she's ever done just in general and that's not just pertaining to Kyrie that's even pertaining to the I think uh, from the from the from the pay-per-view when Kyrie got sick and she wanted facing who was it Himeka instead yep yeah yep she faced Himeka. And, and how and how and how great that and how great that match was. And right before our right before our eyes, I feel like Saya is evolving and getting better. And not just feeling like she's feeling kind of like a you know like a like Arisa Hoshiki Arisa Hoshiki type void or anything like that. Like she's kind of like because she's kind of like become her own version of herself and bringing that intensity and character and promo work and. All that and all that stuff to the table as well. So, I thought that she was super good here. I thought that while Kyrie has been a lot more dominant and in control and domineering since she's been back in stardom, she, clearly she's showing that she can go back into being that all-world, all-time babyface, selling a limb and selling that pain and agony just as good as anyone else in wrestling can. And Saya. Saya worked on it. Saya worked on it really well. Saya worked. Saya can. Saya worked over it really well. People talk about the pace, or if uh, or if the match, or if the match itself felt a little bit predictable uh, about about it going to a thirty minute thirty minute draw, and I can agree with that and see it somewhat. But I still thought they used the time really well. And you know, Saya is someone that if you asked me last year, I would have concerns about her going this long in a match, and I'm not sure if she was in the ring with someone other than Kyrie, if she should be going this long with a match either. But I thought that she did really well in this spot. And I like, she just continues to impress me. Yeah. Um, with, with this match, I, I liked it. Um, I'm trying to think in the, the times that I've seen Kyrie do 30 minute time limit draws or close to it. Um, you know, the, the Mako match is probably the best match she's had in terms of a 30-minute timeline. It might be the best match she's had, period. Um, but there was another match with Io that went, nearly went 30. Um, I think this is right up with it. Um, this was really good. And um, with Kyrie, I started, like, you know, Quinn, you said you you, you weren't really noticing Kyrie. You were just trying to, trying to watch... Saya, but I was kind of reverse seeing how if Kyrie could still go, and there was just little things like you know, um, bringing out all the chairs and stuff, and and doing the cactus elbow <laughs> onto the chairs and on onto Saya, and yeah, it's um, a dark you know, car, baby. Of, I love it. Yeah, like sort of working this this weird heelish type persona, you know. Um, I know in the press conference leading up to it, she was, it wasn't like your typical heel work. It was more of 
she was just really trying to get in her head and not like in a cheesy way. It was just like, you know, can you can you pull the trigger? You know, she kind of kind of questioning her, kind of questioning Syed and um, you know, this Phoenix Splash thing with 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 Mina. It was kind of a happy accident going into this, even though Mina, I think you know, Mina's fine now, um, for all accounts, but um it was kind of a happy accident that that would happen and then you have Kyrie coming into this match, you know, questioning Sai if she could do it and um do the Phoenix Splash and she didn't you know, she tried to do it and she she hasn't really gonna do it again. But um with Kyrie I think she's I think this match set her on the pace to, um, I I don't think she was all world on Gold Rush, but she was all world the next night. And I think this was just kind of like setting the table for her to, to do it. And I'm interested to see how, if she could do more of this heel work going forward. Um, she's already proven that she could be a baby face, but um, kind of having this slight heelish tendencies I'm I'm more intrigued coming out of this match, but but um, like Quentin, like you said with with Saya, um, she's really she has come into her own. Um, you know, we talked a couple podcasts ago. We talked about um, the Emeka match, but um, I thought the match with Mina on her previous defense. I thought up until the botched Phoenix Splash, I thought that was her best match of the year. And, um, you know, to me, the, the botch Phoenix splash kind of ruined everything. And, um, I think she's really becoming a, a, um, someone reliable and has really grown into the role that she has. And, um, I'm at the point, you know, before I was thinking, well, if, how, how they're going to take the belt off her. I don't think I'm almost at the point. I don't know if you you take the belt off her at this point or, you know, going into 2023 um, and it's, and it's going to approach a year or whatever, but um, I'm not tired of this title reign. And with Saya, I, I want to see more her going against people more on the roster. Um, you know, she could have another Mirai match. I would, I would welcome it. You know, she could have a Zuki match, you know, and, and, there's there's countless other people that I want to see her face up and down the roster, even if it's for a second time, um, or if they bring in outsiders, you know. But I, I really like this match. Um, wasn't as good as as the the match the next night and the sort of crossover in terms of Kyrie matches, but I thought it was a really good wow. match. Wow, I mean that's an unfair standard to hold it to, really. <laughs> but, but yeah, I agree with you. Um, and I agree with everything you're saying there. And I think a big part of it, too, is that there's a lot still going on with the Red Belt storyline-wise. Um, because I don't know about you. I mean, we'll really talk about it more on the next show. But um, coming out of everything that's happening here, it really does feel like the natural progression at the moment is for um, Julia to win the, the Red Belt from Sh- from Shuri finally. You know, for jury to for Julia to finally win the red belt from Shuri, um, but at the same time, I don't think that it's ready for Shuri to drop the title. Similarly to like what you're saying about uh, Saya here, so really like with the way Saya is talking and her promos and 
and where she's at really in this reign, it feels super early and it still feels like she's growing. Yeah. Like I think she should keep the title for a while because she should be keeping this white belt until she's ready to move on to the red belt is, is really how I feel about it. Um, so right now the red belt is kind of busy with a lot going on there because Julia has to win the title like soon, but I don't know that I really want her to win it right now. But, you know, speaking of the red belt, we'll talk about kind of the, the defining red belt feud of the past year, the defining kind of feud of, of Shuri's run really just the defining feud of even uh, Utami's run as the red belt champion. We got Shuri, and Utami reprising their, um, I don't even know. It's it's really interesting to say because stardom has been on this upward trajectory for so long. And people really point to their, their draw and the double knockout and all that as being like something that got a lot of people's attention, especially with Dave giving it, you know, over five star match and starting to talk about women's wrestling again since his heart was broken in the 90s or whatever. Um, but like, I don't know how much credit they really deserve and maybe i'm wrong jay what do you think like do does the utami and shuri feud rivalry whatever you want to call it like does it deserve credit for the way that stardom is growing because to my mind i really think that a lot of the growth is like julia and like she feels like the star that attracts a lot of people to the company but am i wrong and it's really this rivalry that is what's like causing this growth Stardom are so sorry, not to speak for Jay, but Stardom already kind of had upward momentum. But yeah, it is this program, honestly. Like it was like Stardom hadn't had anything that crossed over this big since um since EO, basically. That that was the first that, that was the first time since then that Stardom had had anything that crossed over like that. And for the way in which we view Julia and think that she is like a big crossover mainstream star is that she the reality is she never had any matches that came close to capturing anyone's attention by that point the way that like the shuri and utami stuff was capturing people like julia had stuff like the tam stuff that was getting attention but not the kind of attention that shuri versus utami was yeah i mean i agree um the thing about it is with with the stardom, it's kind of an interesting question because you know the the, the Bushi Road backing and really made everything you know, the production really made everything sort of bigger on a bigger scale. But um, when you know, I felt like I was on an island when that first big match happened in June of last year. I, I was like, "Am I? On a, I don't see what the." I mean, it was a really good match, but I didn't think it was like one of the greatest matches in terms of even with women's wrestling. I ever thought it, thought it was one of the greatest matches of all time. But I think the hype coming to last year, December, and um, I remember I was DMing um, our friend Liam um, th- during that time, and on that night. Um, there was a picture that popped up of the Sumo Hall show. And it was like literally a line around the block of just people waiting for, to get in for that show. And that match was the only match. They only put out one promotional poster, um, one big promotional poster for the Sumo Hall show. And it was with Tommy and Shuri. 
And I was like, that's really ballsy of them to do that. I mean, I think they put out another poster with everybody on it later on, but the the big promotional poster was Tommy and Shuri, and I thought that was really ballsy, just even for the, for the native standpoint. Um, and they drew pretty well for for you know in the COVID time for Sumo Hall. So it's not just the West, like getting Westernized and worldwide eyes. It's even in Japan as well. Like, um, I think a lot of wrestling fans in Japan took notice to that match and that sort of pseudo rivalry. And I think, um, you, you know, listen for this match, um, you know, this, this Osaka show, it only drew a uh, thousand six hundred. 600, which is up from last year from um, when they did the Osaka Super War show. Um, so it, I guess it's it's a, that's a good sign um, <laughs> that they were up, what, what 400 people? So and it, it makes a difference. But um, yeah. even with that, like, um, you know, Utami and Shuri doesn't have the same luster as it did before, but um, yeah, I think it really it this match really has helped the the growth in Starnum. Um just getting just getting the getting the notice, not just here in the West, but also just regular wrestling fans in Japan. Yeah. Um I guess Jake, I mean feel free to talk about this iteration of the match. How do you feel? Because I I think I'm with the 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 people that I've heard that have said that this is kind of the best version of this match since the double KO. Um, I wanted but you to didn't watch... necessarily love that match, right? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. Um, I liked their Sumo Hall match, um, really a lot. Um, I wanted to when I got home. I wanted to watch rewatch the the five star Grand Prix Grand Prix match from from this year on the sec from the. I think from the second night of the, the Grand Prix, I really wanted to watch that, rewatch that because I remember, I remember talking to me and you, Quentin. We kind of agreed that this that match was really really good. Uh, it might be yeah. their best best showing of their their rivalry, but I wanted to rewatch that match. But this this is up there. Um, I really I really did like this this type this 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 uh, latest version of of their rivalry this match um, compared to the previous ones is I, to be honest, I wasn't a big fan of that, that double knockout, the 44 minute match. I wasn't, um, thought it was a good match. I think I gave it like four stars, which is, is really good. But, um, um, compared to everybody else, I was, I was on an Island, but this match, um, and maybe, maybe I'm just in terms of rivalries. Sometimes I just have to be, some, sometimes I have to get in the groove of them because I remember Kenny. Well, with Kenny Okada, I kind of recoiled at the first match, but I remember giving that like four, four and three quarters. So it wasn't that wasn't that bad of a reaction. But um, I and then, then later I thought that the not not Dominion match, but the the G, the G one match. Um, I thought that was Kenny and Okada's best match. Because it was yeah. kind of inside that, I've that thirty minutes. That too. Yeah, I've yeah. always thought that yeah. too. I, I was fucking. I thought that was the best match. Yeah, because like I, um, the not the hour long Dominion match, but the two out of three falls match. I, it's it's like one of to me the two out of three falls match. Like I've watched the hour long Dominion match 
a couple of times, but I have never gone back and watched Kenny and Okada's two out of three falls match. It's like watching one of those movies that it's like important to watch, but you'll never watch it again. Um, like it's like a really good, like, like one of those Oscar type movies that you'll watch. Um, that's really, really good, but it's, you'll never watch. And that's how I feel about that, that, that (laughs) Dominion two out of three falls match. I will never watch that ever again. Um, and people probably like, Oh, go ahead. No, no. I was saying people probably think I'm crazy listening to me. <laughs> I watched the two out of three falls match like three times, and I watched the first fall like five times. I just kept trying to like understand why people think that match is great, and it was like really <clears> hard <throat> for me. So I watched that one a lot. Hmm. Yeah. So I think I'm with you on that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's it's fine, but people are way over the top on that one. Um. Quentin, what did you think of the uh, Shuryu Tommy match here? Out of their longer matches, I feel like this might be my favorite one. Okay. Um, I still, I still prefer them in the Grand Prix setting, uh, like JML alluded to. But if I have to, like, if we're talking about like their longer matches, then I feel like this is probably my favorite one that they've had. Um, and like I said, whenever they whenever whenever they are with each other, I'm not. I don't dislike it because of any like disparity in talent or lack of chemistry. I just don't like those two having matches that long together. I just right. am not into it. I don't think they fill the time particularly well or interestingly for the most part. But that being said, I thought that they I thought that this was actually my favorite version of a big Utami Sherry title match that I've seen. I'm not sure what the prevailing opinion is. Obviously I don't expect people to be liking this more than the double knockout match, but I, but I, but I thought that this was my favorite uh, big match of theirs. I really liked the double knockout match. I thought that the, the match itself, I thought they did a really good job of building to the, to the end and really, kind of like hiding the length of the match. I think to me, at least in the moment, it always felt like it it got there really or like really smoothly to where it didn't feel like you were getting to the time limit. And then the drama of the, you know, going to the overtimes and the double knockout, I thought they did really well. Um, So that one always is going to stick with me as being fantastic. Like I said, but to me, this is probably, I agree with the idea that this is their second best matchup in this kind of rivalry between them. Um, Main event of the evening, main event in my heart. I absolutely adored this fucking match with the the finals. And that's why I say like it kind of stinks because the, the semifinals just felt like whatever. And then the finals was just like under 10 minutes, but so much fun. And I guess you needed the setup to make this worthwhile. But the, the Stars team coming out in the, you know, tied off white T-shirts and black pants. And they're coming out here ready to rumble. Um in a tables, letters, and chairs match, I guess. I didn't even realize it was tables, letters, and chairs. I thought it was just, you know, a ladder match. But then the tables get involved, and there's some just really nutty, ta- like, table spots, including Julia doing a pile driver on a table that, like, she was channeling the greatest of all time, Jay Drillers, through the table in ROH, the way that, not on top of everything, the, the way the table split in half perfectly, like, it, like you never see, especially in Japan. Um, fucking gonzo bumps on this just like what the fuck some of this stuff is crazy hazuki hitting the um samoan driver 
on the table bridge across the top rope was one of the wildest things. It took me a long time for my brain to like comprehend the fact that like all that is is like doing a move off the top rope. It just felt like so so. Nu- I was like, "What are you doing? That's fucking crazy! How could you do a move did, like that? It's did too you, much." Did you uh, notice um, <laughs> when Stars threw uh, one of Dun Del Mondo onto the table from the top rope yeah. and it didn't break in their reactions? And yes they're both yeah. they're all just like Ooh. oh oh no not, yeah yeah didn't <laughs> and then they're all looking at it and like my you have to like kind of like turn away and hide her laugh <laughs> yeah the whole way through it's fucking crazy kaguma with the insane dive from the top of the highest ladder all the way to the floor um and one thing that i love like <laughs> like mayu just amazing genius wrestler, top level IQ wrestling. Uh, Mayu gets to the top. They pull down the broken because that's another part of this match that I haven't even mentioned. They break the fucking ball midway through, and all the shit flies everywhere. And the crowd and the wrestlers and everyone is just like, "What is going on?" Um, when they finally do get to the top and take off the the ball, that's like just the top half missing all of the money and gold and everything. Uh, Mayu at the top of the ladder. Pulls a handful of golden trinkets out of her pocket to throw from the top of the ladder just to like get the effect of like this was supposed to be this big dramatic payoff. Here it is. And that's why Mayu's like a top level worker of all time because she she was saving tr- like trinkets in her pockets for the big payoff at the end of the match. Um, so yeah, I, I absolutely adored this main event. And I just thought like as I was watching it, I was just like, this is why Joshi wrestling is the best wrestling. This is so fucking great. Um, I don't know. Whoever wants to talk, feel free. Uh, yeah, Tim, I, I I totally agree. Um, it would have been uh, other than the 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 money ball basically breaking. Um, I think if Donna Del Mondo, because um this past weekend they had their Starman Showcase show and and Donna Del Mondo came out the same three, same three with Julia Tekla and my Sakurai. If they came out in the fatigues, they came out in from last week's pay-per-view instead of uh and just came out for the gold rush one i think we would it would be super awesome just you know fatigues and then you have you know stars with their with their with their get up so but yeah um it was a super fun match and um you know them breaking it was was an accident but you know mayu and it was funny seeing mayu and julia you know everybody was else's in shock and then they're just pocketing the money. Um, I just thought that was, it was pretty <laughs> funny, but yeah. Um, you know, stars, they're always, always have, have pretty fun matches when in terms of the ladder match or the cage match earlier in the year, um, you know, the ladder match last year, um, you know, st- this is, this is their, you know, their, their thing. So um, hopefully, if they have another cage match, they'll bring, you know, Don Mondo will bring the fatigues and stuff and they'll be their mini war games. But yeah, this is pretty fun. Yeah. Quentin, what did you think of the main event? Oh yeah. Same, same thing here. Like even if no one, uh, no one would sit there and have this as their favorite match of the show or anything like that. I'm not sure. Maybe someone does, but even if I you would. don't, well, yeah, sure. But even, even if, even if some, even if you didn't, it's, just based off of what we already had, right? We had this 30-minute time limit draw, draw between Kyrie and Sai Kamatani. We had Shiryu Tommy going nearly 30. Like, 
having this as a main event was just like really refreshing and refreshing and fun. So even if this wasn't the best match on the show to somebody, it was nice to have a show end like this where it was a lot of fun, colorful characters going out there for 10 minutes and having just a ball of a match. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. For sure. Agree with that. Moving on, the historic crossover. You talk about a show that had a refreshing main event. Uh, this show, it, I, I'll get into that as we get to it, but I definitely thought that there was something unique. Um, I guess we can skip a lot of the like opening stuff like we normally do on a New Japan show. Um, pre-show eight-man between um, LA Jojo and new japan native young boys i thought was a ton of fun i thought having that sibling rivalry between the two groups really added to it i thought a ton of people a ton of wrestlers in here looked really great together does anyone have any other thoughts they want to add i did not uh see this i didn't start i I jumped into the uh new japan show at um julian zach versus sherry and tom that's fair enough Um... Yeah, go ahead. I was about to say for me with the Young Lions, um, there's a. It's funny with the LA Dojo guys, like how s- sort of stale New Japan has gotten in terms of booking new guys. I'm wondering if they should be a faction, but not just be LA Dojo. Be someone like a Millennials or a Masquerade, just come in or the and, Nexus. Yes, yes. Some be a. <laughs> Be well, not like not the out not that outcome, but like just yeah. be coming and into the into the promotion, and just turn it upside down, and just have these new guys just come in and just just annoy and, and beat up the the old guys. I, maybe they. Just, I know some people say if if, if they were L.A. Dojo together, they, it would be a death death nail for them. But um, I really think they've got a crop of young guys that um if they play their cards right could all all those guys could be uh, future top guys um going forward i know kevin knight he just he recently just graduated um from from his from his young line status to you know he, he's now the jet now with with kushida during tag you know super jury tag league and you know you know, Coglin, he's, you know, the, the Android and you got Clark Connors, the wild rhino and all that stuff. And yeah, who, you know, and Gabe kid, you know, I, I like all the, all these guys and I think they need to be, they still need to be together. Um, just to, just to turn the promotion up upside down and not in a bullet club way, just these young guys, they're just young, hot shit guys. They're just going to start beating guys and i hope sort of like what chaos was was trying to do with okada in the early 20 2010s um i think they need that jolt for the promotion yeah i absolutely agree with what with what you said there um because yeah i think that these guys are really good together they need a fresh energy there and you can add someone like ren narita to the group i think as the uh the, the TV champion or whatever that title he's going to win is, you know, and have uh, have this group of guys that are like here to not just like freshen things up, but also with Renarita, I think it'd be a great like kind of contrast to talk about like 
freshen things up, but also take it back to the history of this company. Cause all these guys are like great workers, you know, and like bring back like strong style or whatever. Anyways, um, Stardom Rambo. I thought this was fucking phenomenal. It's a bummer, Quentin. You didn't see this. I thought it was so, was so much fun. And as a uh, you know, self, like I've said that I think like Saida is great. I love Saida coming back as the super strong uh, Stardom machine. And honestly, the best that I've ever seen her was doing this gimmick with the mask. And I would hope that she just sticks with it because I think Saida as the super strong Stardom machine is the best that she's ever looked. Um, but uh, otherwise, Mariah ends up winning the match or the the Rumble. Uh, I don't know if you get anything out of this, but whatever. Uh, Quentin didn't see it. Jay, any thoughts? Um, I sort of agree with the Saida Super Stardom Strong Machine. Um, but I I like Saida is herself anyway. Um, I'm surprised no Legends came out. It was just the rest of the roster, so. It was a fun, yeah. fun Rambo. Um, less goofy than the Rambos they've done before. So yeah. that's that's my better, favorite. better than the New Japan Rambos. Um, eight man yes. tag chaos versus House of Torture. Uh, Leo Rush looked really good here. Um, otherwise, not much to say. Jay, what do you think? Not much to say either. I hope he does well. It looks like he's doing well with him and him and Yo. Yeah. But. Um, this is basically like his last strike, you know, how many promotions he's been with. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I guess another thing in the Rambo was the stuff with, uh, Hanan, uh, Hina and Rina, uh, but you know, whatever. doesn't matter. Moving on, uh, six person, six woman tag trios match, Azumi, Lady C, Saya Kamatani versus Donna Del Mondo, um, Himeka, uh, my Sakurai and Tekla. Um, this was fine. It was good. It was here. Like I said, Saya felt like felt like it, on the crossover there would have done like a Saya and Abushi something here, but we don't get it because Abushi's gone. So she's just in this match, and it's fine. I don't know, Jay. I assume you don't have any thoughts here. Uh, yeah, I was surprised she didn't. I mean, it kind of plays the storyline her not pulling off the the Phoenix Splash, so she just did the regular 450 Firebird right. Splash, you know. So, um, but you know, fun undercard tag match. It was funny because um, Waka mentioned on commentary that it was the first time Micah, Mai, and Tekla had tagged together, and they pretty much were were good <laughs> being a right. being a trio. So. Uh, follow this up, and then now finally Quentin is in the game, and obviously this is for very Tim people in a very Tim matchup, but the important thing that I have to talk about here is that watching this match, they're mentioning this rivalry between Tom Lawler and Zach that has to do with George Michael versus Boy George. And during the match, as I'm watching it, I mention it to my wife, Alicia, who's, you know, worked at big time record stores and done all this stuff and, you know, is really into music. And I love Tom Lawler. I adore him as a guy. I've listened to him on the podcast on F4W for a long time. I think he's really cool. I've seen him in person, all this stuff. Really like him. But Zach, for all of his flaws, Zach has really good taste in music. And 
it's insane to me that you would even try to argue that boy George is a better musical artist than George Michael. Like, I don't think you could even say like culture club is better than wham. And that's like the basic like level of this. But then you have all of George Michael's solo career as like just a transcendent, transcendent icon of music. The guy has got such a long career ups and downs. Like, You've also got Triumphant Return. You've got The Influence. And then just the fact that George Michael is actually a really talented singer. Like, his voice is amazing. Like, I just don't... I can't take Tom's taste in music seriously to think that he would even think that Boy George is in the same conversation as George Michael. Quentin, what did you think of the match? Um, I feel like because Tom is kind of a troll, I'm like, there's no way he actually thinks that because it's actually such an absurd thing to think. Like, it's hard for me to actually believe that someone would actually think that Boy George is better than George Michael. So probably like, yeah, you know, like, I feel like Tom has to be trolling here because that's just like an insane thing to actually think. But to the yeah. match itself, Sherry, Sherry and Tom are just as good of a team together as we would have expected. They were awesome. They were awesome and we're such a we're such a natural pairing together. And Zach and Julia, the star power just jumps off the screen when you when you when you when you saw when you saw the when you saw those two together. It was just nice to get these different pairings and see how they interacted and see how naturally it came across. But I thought both of these tag teams came across super naturally. And this was this was great, man. This was really, this was really just fun fun to see. Um, you're not getting like the most substance here. You're not getting the most. We're gonna go out there and have the most amazing match possible or whatever type of thing here. It's just a fun crossover novelty thing, and I thought it was very 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 fun. And I thought both of the I thought both of these teams were just really good. Yeah, um, I agree. It's a super fun match. Um, you know, I was really, I, 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 when I was watching it live, I was just smiling from ear to ear because knowing what, what Tom, what Filthy Tom, um, has been, you know, over the past year and a half, just been reviewing Stardom and, um, saying that he, he loves Sherry. And it, it, he looked like he was having the time of his life. And anybody who's who's in a wrestling ring having the time of their life doing doing that, um, you can't help but smile. So, um, yeah, super fun. I'm glad that they kind of emphasized that the Sumo Hall match between Sherry and, and Julia was happening um, on on the show. So, also got over like the biggest biggest match for Stardom um, coming up. But really, just really fun. Super fun match and. At that yeah. point, I was at that point in the pay per view. I was just like, "This is a breezy pay per view." Just you just put it on. It was just so easy to watch. So I think that's why you, Tim. You, I think that's why you think it's like kind of a kind of a show of the year because this watching this, it was like what five hours long, but it really flew by in my it, in my opinion. Yes, it definitely that's part of it, and part of it is also this. I 
<laughs> I, you know, I teased that there and talked about like, this is for Tim, Tim ass wrestlers and a team in a, in, you know, in the teams that are perfect together and then go off on the diatribe about the, the, the music rivalry there is kind of a, um, a misdirect because this is the first match on the show that I'd say, this is in my match of the year conversation match. Like you guys both saying like, it's like, it's fun and it's whatever. No, like I thought this was fucking incredible. And the stuff that you're talking about there with how into it Tom is, um, how perfect everything was executed. The, the way that everything weaves in and out all the way from fucking running down the ramps for double kicks to the spine to Julia and Shuri teaming up to fight off Tom for his bullshit. Like, this was wacky. It was fun. It was pro wrestling at its best. It was lighthearted, but it was also intense. The trading on the mat between Tom and Zach, some of the best technical wrestling you're going to get. Like I said, you're getting drama. You're getting great technical wrestling. You're getting funny, wacky storyline. You're getting like goofiness. You're getting everything in this. This match is so fucking good. And it's under, it's like under 11 minutes. It's 10, 10 and a half minutes. It's, crazy that you fit this much in here like i said like all year i've been saying moxley and biff match of the year no question this is coming out of this this was this is definitely flirting with taking that spot this could be my match of the year this was so much fucking fun and saber and julia again the star power the charisma they leap off the screen together Shuri and Tom so perfect together just with the background and everything else plus what they do here oh my god I absolutely fucking love this match I thought it was so good and this is again kind of kicking off the show proper and then you got like you said five hours of easy breezy slipping through the rest of the show no problem following up the next match similar thing where the 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 interplay between the teams as because kind of the over the top entrances and all this stuff could turn me off, but when you open it up with Starlight Kid and El Desperado, two wrestlers who I absolutely adore, and the affection between the two just being so palpable, I was just like completely bought in. And then you follow that up with the Black Desire and and El Desperado plus, um, or no, Black Desire. And uh, or no, Meltier and Tai Chi coming in together, and then Kanemaru with the whiskey and the storyline between that. Dude, not to play in Tai Chi is just like perfect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's amazing having Meltier with the masks as Tai Chi is singing and they're on his sides, and it's just like it's perfect with the, the kind of Edwardian kind of cosplay going on, and then. Mixing in Natsapoy, learning how to spit whiskey for the Ferial Mist from Kanemaru. Like I said, the entrance stuff can be like over the top, uh, whatever. But when you set me up with Desperado and Starlight Kid, and I know their background and, and what you the, you build up between those two, and then you lead into the over the top thing, I'm just like, I'm, I'm bought in hook, lane, and sinker. Then the match itself is phenomenal. Everything pays off. Like, you go from the first intergender tag match and everything that I love there to then this where you're kind of like continuing to play off of the dynamic between the men and the women and then all of the drama and and them working together but you know kind of trying to like keep things separate but not and just this is so much fucking fun um I mean Quentin what did you what did you think of the match and all that and and the big setups and everything 
Yeah, on paper, on paper, I wasn't sure how I'd like this match, especially just seeing like so much Suzuki Goon. But Suzuki Goon has been really fun this year for the most for the most part. Um, Doki Doki's been really Doki's really found his groove in New Japan, and obviously we don't got to talk about Despy and how great he's been for the last year and some change. And um, this surprised me because I really was not expecting to enjoy this match as much as I did, but this wound up being a like the best possible version of this. I thought that between like the three uh, um, stardom and new Japan crossover tags, honestly, this wound up being my favorite one. And yeah, for as, like, for as much as I really enjoyed uh, Julian, Zach versus Shuri and Tom. And I thought uh, Tanahashi and Utami versus Goto Micah was solid. This out of, out of the crossover matches, this was my favorite one. I thought this was really good. I liked this a lot. I can't argue with you because coming out of that match where I was like, this could be my match of the year coming out of this. I had like a similar feeling where I was like, God, this could be a match of the year contender. I don't think I end up as high on this as I do the Zach and Julia versus Shuri and Tom match, but I could definitely see it being your favorite. And I could definitely agree with you in that way. Jay, what did you think? Um, I, for me, the Tom, um, Tom Sheary and Julia Zach match was probably the best out of the the mixed tags. I mean, I thought I was kind of worried coming into this match because there were so many people in the match that I thought this would be a like a match that could break down really easily. Um, I was on the I was on the Keeping It Strong Style podcast previewing the show, and the only thing I really wanted was um, for Momo and. Taichi to kick each other like they did, like uh, like Taichi and Kota Bushi did <laughs> in that G one match, and they yeah, and and, Mo, and Momo started to do that, and Taichi yeah. just had this belief, this weird look, like what are you doing? <laughs> and I, it was it was so great, and then it just it just followed from there, and it was surprising that all the interactions between the male and female, they kind of they kind of um, they did they did a really good job throughout the night, just of you know the mixed gender interactions where it didn't go didn't go to any bad place and it didn't really go super hokey either um i thought they just really played it well and the referees like um what was it with well, you know starlight kid and the, you know kenamoro was about to punch starlight kid and he he held, and the referee held him back and stuff like that and then momo's kicking kenamaru outside you know it was just it was it was really fun. Just the match this this whole match was yeah. pretty fun and then and um and the interesting part is after the match, um Taichi goes up to Tam and and mentions the IWGP championship and you know Charlton on, on commentary says like he's he he whispers to her but loud enough for the camera to get it, like you maybe you should you should challenge yeah. the IWGP women's championship. So um Yeah, you set that up. Taichi Yeah. He's the he's the Machiavelli. He's in he's whispering in the ear. Um yeah. Dumb little spot that like whatever, but <laughs> uh Tai Chi doing the rip off pants and then and Tam getting jealous and, and wanting to rip off her pants, but she doesn't have rip away pants is very funny. Like I just I thought that was <laughs> like yeah, yeah, that's such a great little spot. Um following that up. Goto and Micah versus Tanahashi and Utami. Coming into this, I think I even tweeted something out about this. Goto and Micah are like the perfect tag team. They just 
they they're they're so the same right like it's just it's on its face it's so obvious but then when utami and tanahashi come out and then they're doing their entrance and they're coming out together like it was just like oh my god they're the same like this somehow like i didn't it never it wouldn't have crossed my mind until i saw them together but it just it plays into just how good like Tanahashi is and Utami is good at what she's doing. But like, yeah, when they came in, it was like, okay, this is like a, you know, match. This is like match match, you know, like two like matching teams going up against each other. And that was like, did not cross my mind. Jay, what did you think about that? Like when Tanahashi and Utami came out, it was like, they really seemed like the perfect pair when it felt like on its face, it was like, go to Utami and then, you know, get into the match itself. Yeah. Yeah. I coming into this match, I thought that, um, I thought Okada and Utami would have been the perfect match, but I was proven wrong watching this. And you know, Tanahashi is the ace, and um, he's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. And you know, just coming into this match, I thought they really played well off of each other. Um, you know, Tanahashi with his history of of getting stabbed by a woman before he he follows the Pac motto of bomb first, and he bomb first against Micah. <laughs> and, sm- and smacked her so and it was it was kind of a shocking spot but you know he was putting the boots to her you know he was he was ready he was ready i was i was surprised how much you know how much fun the new japan wrestlers throughout the night were having fun with this and were really into into the matches going you know throughout the night and tahashi was was the personification of that he he was ready and i think he'd be up he'd be up for another match, another t- mixed tag match. Yeah, I think Tanahashi's the perfect guy for a match like this. He's just, again, he's the ace. He's just the perfect wrestler. So any situation, he will make it work, but he did a great job here. Quentin, what did you think? Yeah, it's funny that you get to hear, to hear you guys say that you weren't sure about the Utami and Tanahashi pairing, pairing on paper. I was, oh yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. That's going to be exactly how I think that's going to go. And I think that they're going to mesh really well. Obviously, Micah and Goto are just hard badasses and that writes itself. But even if Utami isn't the same kind of uh, the same level of flash and uh, pomp and circumstance and uh, I guess kind of like sometimes smugness that Tanahashi has, Tanahashi's like the perfect person for her to be doing her thing with, with the flowers and like I, I can already just in my head imagine her with the rose and Tanahashi fucking around with his air guitar and shit. You know, Okada and Utami definitely match more personality wise, but I, I just felt like I always felt like Tanahashi was just a fun, uh, the, a fun person to pair with her, and I thought that it came across that way too when it got when it when it came to the, when it came to the match itself. I thought that they probably felt the most natural. As a pairing, I think, where if they were, you know, like in the same company or whatever, like I totally could buy them uh, being in the unit or hanging out or hanging around each other in some in some kind of capacity. I thought that's how natural uh, they felt as a team, and the pairings in the match itself wound up being wound up being really solid too. Uh, the Goto and Tanahashi pairing has been really good sometimes for the past what. 15, 15 years, I guess. Like, yeah. like they, like they've, yeah. like, like they've, like they've had really good matches, but then as of late, you know, I think I think it's been fair to say that 
sometimes they can get a little lazy and lethargic with their matches with each other, whether they're, if they're crossing paths in the G1. But lately, it feels like there's a little bit of extra motivation whenever those two were in the ring together. And something that I haven't felt when in a lot of their in a lot of their previous encounters over the last like four or five years that there's like a renewed vigor there with them. So seeing them, so seeing them even interact here, even though it wasn't in the big spot, was still really good. And Julia and, Ju- and Julia, not Julia, I don't know why I just said Julia just now, but Utami and uh and my and Micah there had had really had really good chemistry as well. So I thought this was I thought this was awesome. Uh, probably my third favorite out of the uh, out of the out of the crossover matches, but still, but still very fun. Yeah, I could definitely yeah see like putting this number three. Um, but also like that's with saying that like the 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 high watermark was like match of the year level match. So number three was not like a bad thing and. And Micah and Utami, like you said, showed good chemistry with each other and continues on with my push to the idea that Micah should be getting to the top of the card in stardom at some point soon because she has amazing chemistry with everyone. And and again, the Goto comparison, I really hope does not <laughs> stick to the same way that the career goes, because I just think that Micah is able to get up to that top level as opposed to, unfortunately, where Goto never got there. But But that's not even to say that that Goto is not like someone who had an amazing career because he really did. And he continues to have an amazing career. When you talk about how the rivalry with him and Tanahashi that's been going for this long still has new facets and still continues to, to deliver uh, great matchups and, and interactions. Um, speaking of matchups and interactions, uh, United Empire versus Los Ingobernables here. Um, 10 man tag feels really easy to kind of write off as whatever, but Jesus Christ, if this does not have some nutty spots, um, just wild action the whole way through, everyone in here is actually really fucking great. Um, even TJP, as much as I dislike him, um, Gideon Gray stuff was like, there were some points, especially early on, where the Gideon Gray stuff just felt like it went a little bit too over the top with how much, how dismissive they were of him because it made it get to a point where it didn't make any sense that the match could even continue with him in there. Um, but that, that said, it did kind of like even out towards the middle and then the end of the match where he at least came across like moderately competent. Um, Dunkzilla is fucking amazing. <laughs> I absolutely love Mark Davis. And I just think, if it wasn't for the fact that Aussie Open is poised to break out as the tag team of the year and the most important tag team in the world here next year, um, and it's just we've been waiting for this for a long time, I would be saying, like, Mark Davis needs to get a run as the biggest fucking wrestler on the planet. Um, but that's not in the cards. And I think that Aussie Open becoming the most dominant tag team in the world, already having getting, having been signed off on by FTR as the as actually the best tag team in the world I think is a step in the right direction to continue to build to this but I'm just so excited for this and and I've been talking about this for years and and you know me and Quentin have been talking about these two for a very long time but Mark Davis obviously Kyle Fletcher has gotten so much better but I mean Mark Davis like really just feels like 
he could be the best wrestler in the world. This guy is just amazing. Even just the stuff that he does here, just a little bit. I mean, he's so phenomenal. Like, goddamn, Quentin, what did you think of this ten man tag? I thought this was fun. I thought this was really fun. Uh, United Empire is just full of really good wrestlers, so it's hard to. It's hard with any combination of these uh, of these guys to not have to to leave with a match that was less than good. Uh, Mark Davis has looked really, 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 really good in Japan. Uh, he's looked he's looked awesome. Uh, did you see? Did you get to see um, Aussie Open versus uh, Goto and Yoshihashi? Yeah. What you yeah. what you, you want to think of it? Oh, no, I thought that was it was great. Like Yoshihashi and Goto actually became like a really amazing tag team, and like I said, they're like Aussie Open is just. I mean, they might actually be the best tag team in the world. FTR is going to win it this year, and they deserve it. But if you're just looking at pure performances, Aussie Open is like they can do everything, and they can make any kind of match work. And yeah, that was like. Um. Yeah, it was phenomenal. But but that, but yeah, this I'm just I'm super like getting super impressed with Aussie Open and how they're acclimating to Japan. Long time coming. It's been a very been a very very long time coming for the for those guys. So I'm glad that they're having just as much success as uh, me and you predicted predicted that they would. And really, like the big thing is, well, you know, when they get those big spots. In the U.S., you know, Forbidden Door, they're probably going to do another Forbidden Door show. So, if you know, if they're smart, they should be building towards Aussie Open versus FTR, getting a rematch on Forbidden Door, or at least Aussie Open being involved in some type of big tag match on um, on Forbidden Door. You know what I mean? If FTR is going to, if FTR is still going to yeah. be involved with the New Japan tag scene. Then there's no reason why, say, if Aussie Open wins the tag belt, you can't possibly see a rematch on a on a on an AEW show, whether it's a Dynamite or something. Like, I feel like that's going to be the real stuff that carries them over and gets them uh, to where they need to be, and never and they're and them being regarded as one of those best tag teams in the world, because we know that there's a there's a ceiling on the new on the new on the new Japan tag team division. There's just, it just is that's just how the that's just how the company works. So what's going to be a big thing for them is those kind of in-between spots and them getting big bookings from AW or whoever else. But I think Forbidden Door, we see Aussie Open get in a really, really prominent spot. Yeah. Um, Jay, what did you think of uh, this 10-man tag here? Um, With, you know, with LIJ tags, I always, I've mentioned, I mentioned on a, on a podcast before that I always stop and watch LIJ, LIJ tag matches um, just because they're always so good. Um, this is no different here. Um, and then you guys mentioned about Aussie Open. Um, it makes me want to go, uh, makes me feel guilty of not watching at least uh, when they're on New Japan Strong, just their, their sort of mini run uh, that I, I feel guilty that I didn't watch it, you know, real time. Um, I can, you know, I'm going to catch up later on, but um yeah, like they're, they're really, really good tag team, and um, um, also with Gideon Gray, like he's gotten over so much on the of over the native native fan base. Um, 
kind of interesting to see that he's like thinking about the United Empire, you know, members. He's probably the fourth most popular guy because I watched the um, uh, not the the show before the big battle autumn show, and it, that was like um that was like a, a house show in Osaka, and he comes out and the crowd is like happy to see him. So, like, he, he's getting over yeah. really well. Um, I'm starting to think um, this will, we'll talk about later with, you know, Thospray, like, um, and I don't want to set off people that I'm probably going to do this anyway, like, um, they might be more an entertaining faction than the Bloodline, um, United Empire, just, just the way they're slotted and how, you know, you know, getting grazed that Paul Heyman character. You know, this is. I'd rather watch this than 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 the Bloodline. You know, I haven't watched much right. WWE anyway, but this was. They are a much better faction to watch um, over an elongated time, in my opinion. But that's just me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think uh, I put this out there, but the the Bloodline storyline and all that is uh, it's the Godfather for mouth breathers. It's just like it really is like. They're trying to do way too much drama and all that. And I understand why people enjoy it. And I'm not saying that Sammy Uso isn't great because I think me and Quentin both agree that, you know, everything that's going on there is fantastic. But like, if you're not into a bunch of melodrama in your wrestling, it's pretty easy to like kind of write that off and say like, what are you really giving me in ring? You know? And if you want like a similar storyline, but you're getting much better in-ring and much better performances when it comes to wrestling. Yeah, the United Empire is doing kind of a similar storyline, but doing it much better, like when it comes to actual wrestling. So I definitely, I can definitely agree with you, Jay, because my taste is I would rather just see the, the story being told in the ring. And I think that United Empire does a much better job of telling these stories in the ring. Um, that said, you know, whatever. The Bloodline stuff is fun, and... Sami Zayn and and the stories that they're telling there are is really good for WWE. But again, I don't necessarily watch wrestling to see acting. I watch wrestling to see wrestling. Um, I guess we can move on to the Great Muda's final match in New Japan. Uh, Chaos members Okada and Toriano <laughs> taking with Great Muda taking on United Empire here. Um, Hanare. Uh, Okan and Jeff Cobb. I I thought this was neat with the mist and all the storyline that they did there, but Jay, what did you think of this? Uh it was it was a match. Like I could take it or leave it. Uh Amuda used to be my favorite wrestler. Um he's I mean I guess if I had to had to think back, I mean he's he's one of my one of the wrestlers that really got me into the Japanese wrestling, but um, now I just have no patience for him. So, um, yeah, it was just a match. It was just whatever. Um, I can take it or leave it. Yeah, I can't really argue with that. Um, the only real big thought I had in this match was just that I was happy that I saw Muda live at some point. Um and I think it was a match that had Penta, Penta gone junior. So it was fun. And, you know, it was, it was good for what it was. But at least I can like check that off my list. But 
it's not the same as like the Liger. You know, when I saw Liger live, he actually had like multiple matches that I would say were actually good as opposed to what I got out of like seeing Muda live. So it's like that level mm-hmm. that, that, you know, that hierarchy of like checking it off where it's like, yeah, I saw Muda live. That's great. You know, I can say that I've seen him, but it's not the same as Liger where I can say like Liger actually had a great match, you know, but Quentin, what did yeah. you think of this? What did you think of this uh, trios here? Uh, yeah, I have no love for, uh, for Muda. So like this, uh, sure. Everything, everything that's going on here, and him going out, and this is the the, the great Muda's last match. I, I just doesn't doesn't really do anything for me. So hopefully, the people that have any type of like attachment or investment in him, that they had a fun time with it. Otherwise, I yeah, I couldn't I couldn't really care about this. But it's weird because for me, I do, <laughs> and I yeah. just didn't have any any, any enjoyment sure. of this. I don't know, yeah. like I. I can watch those Muda matches like the match with Hase, the match with Chono and the Dome, the match with Hogan, you know, as as, as much as I hate Hogan, um, the match with Hogan, you know, the match with the matches with Sting. Like I could just rattle off, you know, the Keishan Liger match where Liger tried to stab him in, in, in Kobe. Like I could just rattle off so many matches in my mental Rolodex of how I think, you know, that character was great and just but in 2022 i have no use for him at all it's crazy because people have been saying that same thing for like 10 years though like muda has been yeah ready to hang it up and i don't have anything i don't have any use for him for like 10 years i mean yeah he stopped being redeemable to me a long time ago like it's just like you know so that's why again it's there and uh, like, uh, I hope the people that do care or, and, and are invested in this or still have some level of investment in this uh, are getting whatever they want out of seeing him for the lap for the last time, especially being back in New Japan. But yeah, yeah, nah, man, it's like he's been beyond redeemable for me for ten years now. So I was like, for me, it's just like, okay, cool, like. I, I hopefully like you know the sooner this is over the sooner people can stop pretending that Muda that Muda matches are good in twenty twenty in twenty twenty two. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean Jesus, like okay, Jay. I, when I said ten years, I thought maybe you were like kind of pushing back, but so I looked this up. Um. The the Muda versus Naito Wrestle Kingdom match was in was in twenty twelve. So that's yeah. ten years ago, and that yeah. was the match that I think it's like, been a legit. Yeah. It's been a legit ten years, even long. Yeah. If you wanted to push it back even longer, you could. Like, yeah, even ten, like ten years is kind of generous. Like, if you wanted to say after what, when was the Ko- when was the Kojima stuff, um, or or the, the all, when was that all Japan? Oh, like, two thousand one. Yeah, yeah. two thousand one, two thousand two. Yeah, like after that. You know, that's 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 even that's even that's even kind of pushing it. And I that, mean, for K, for KG Moots, like I was just talking about the like yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. character, but right, 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 right. So in general, yeah, like I could you could give a you give a case of the Wrestle Kingdom match with Tanahashi, um, that was legitimately supposed to be a passing of the torch, and it really wasn't. Um, right. So, uh, yeah. So like. And it's weird because remember when we were part of 
the wrestling awards website you know it's funny how that, that came about um, hey don't say that too loud rev- we'll get dms <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um that's that's another another thing for another show um but when the website was alive, I was reviewing pro wrestling master shows. And I thought that was the best case of Mudo. Like to be on those basically like senior senior wrestling shows of just like a bunch of old guys popping the crowd in Cork and Hall and used to do the Shining Wizard and maybe the Moonsault and all that stuff. Like I thought that was the best use of Mudo um that I thought in recent years. And then years go past and now you have the Noah stuff. So um, it's just, I don't know. It's just mind blowing to me how he still can get payoffs after all these years. He's just um, true finesse, true finesse for, yeah. for real. Him, Jeff Jarrett, uh, Road <laughs> Dog. There's a bunch of dudes still I mean... in this wrestling. That's not even fair. I feel like you're cutting him short, really. Like, Mudo is an even bigger finesser than... I mean, Jarrett is probably an all-time bag getter, so that's fair. Rodog, but I mean, he's in that Hulk Hogan... Yeah, like, he's yeah, in that yeah, level. Yeah, Jeff yeah, Jarrett, M- Hulk Hogan... M- 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 yeah, Mudo's in that, like, yeah. Hulk Hogan, Jeff Jarrett, L.A. Park, like... Yes. Like, he, like he's, he's like, up, like, you know, like, Mount Rushmore type, like... Yes. Kevin Nash, when you're talking about the guys who are really finessing the bag, you're talking about the top-level guys. And Mudo yeah, is definitely yeah, on that list. Yeah, he's going to have a retirement. Was, was a retirement match next year in February? He's at the Dome. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> like, I mean, this guy is having so many retirement matches, it's incredible. Like, you know, yeah. Ot- Onita is the only person who's probably had as many retirement matches. Like, you know, Terry Funk, everyone says Terry Funk started retiring when he was, like, in his 40s. Like, you know, Muda says, like, hold my beer, and this motherfucker has more retirement matches than anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but enough stalling. We got to talk about it. The match nobody wants to talk about. Shota Amino versus Will Ospreay. I love that Osprey comes out here with the full crew. You know, like... United Empire has a bunch of other matches right before his, but everybody, you don't, I don't care what happened. I don't care how bruised up you are. Everyone has to show up for the man. So Osprey comes out. He's got everyone. And TJP, obviously one of the worst, just most annoying guys, libertarian ass bullshit on Twitter. But the, the Jack Skellington fucking uh, hoodie that's like cut up to look like a rib cage. Honestly, really cool. I can't help it. I liked Fall Out Boy when I was in, you know, middle school. So I, I dig that kind of thing. Um, definitely thought that that was insanely cool. Um, but yeah, I love Osprey coming out with the whole crew. Showed him, you know, just by himself. He doesn't even have. He's got no one to with him except for his dad as the referee. Whatever. You're just, um, you're just, you're just glossing, you're just glossing over the Will Osprey Hayabusa cosplay, or. I mean. Definitely need to bring it up. So thank you, Quentin. Quentin, feel free. Let's talk about Hayabusa mask, gear, ring jacket, donating the proceeds to auctioning off the gear to the family, and then the match itself. Quentin, what do you think about uh, the the presentation and the match itself? Was there an explanation for why he did it? Was it just to do it? Was it like 
Like, where there's like significance of the date? Like, why? No, like, it, it was it supposed looked... to happen before the pandemic. That was like kind of the story. Was that he had set all this up, but then the pandemic and everything happened. So then it didn't happen when it was supposed to. And it was around the time, like, that Hayabusa had passed away. Right. That's so what I was supposed out. to be. So, but, yeah. 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 But like, did Hayabusa pass around November? Or something like that, like like that. Like I'm just trying to figure out like where like where this came from. But... Oh, you know what it was? It was when he got sick. You know when when Osprey got the kidney infection thing. So he okay. was supposed to do this around the time Hayabusa passed away, and then Osprey got sick, so he didn't wrestle. So he was like gonna he did it now. Was basically how it, how it worked out. I remember I heard this story. So that that's what it was. He was gonna do it when. When Hayabusa passed away, then Osprey got sick and missed time and then came back. And then finally, I guess this was a big show. So he's doing it on a big show was the point, I guess. That was like kind of how it went. Um, The, ma- the match itself. Uh, I just uh, this is better than a Rev Pro match, but I really just don't want to see Osprey versus U- Umino anymore, at least not for a while. Maybe in a different context, but I'm just I don't really want to see these two wrestling each other anymore. Um Umino looked good. I thought he looked good, and I think that if he you know for his first, you know, major stuff back, that this that this was a good reintroduction type of match for him. I'm glad that they didn't like hold off on it until Wrestle Kingdom or something like that, which is what they usually do with these returning guys. I'm glad that they just put him in there and you know. When JML talked about it, JML said Osprey's well, a walking four star match. And like, if I just want to introduce a guy back to the back to the fan base and go out there and have a good match, yeah, like I'm picking Osprey over anyone on the roster. Probably, if you want to pick between Osprey and Shingo, if I just want to introduce Umino back to the roster, Osprey is the guy that I'd pick. So they're already familiar with each other. They already have some some type of some type of stuff they can build off of and things like that. So, I thought this was good, not great, uh, better than what they've what, than what they did before in RevPro. But I definitely uh, don't want to see these two paired off for a little bit. It's a little bit. I want to see Amino go do something else. Yeah, I I definitely I agree with you that I think it's better than the RevPro match. I think. I think it's weird because I heard a little bit of like Amino is too small, but I thought that like here with Osprey size didn't really seem to cross my mind even slightly. And Osprey is like firmly a heavyweight. Um, so I just think Amino's definitely ready to be a heavyweight. I think I think Amino's facial selling and his poise and his vibe in general was like fantastic. I think Amino is definitely ready to be a breakout star from his class. Um, and yeah, I'm with you that I just don't want to see these guys against each other. I, and a big part of that is not even necessarily that I don't like their vibe, but I don't like that their storyline is built around red shoes and referee bullshit. I just, I don't ever really like a referee being part of a storyline and I definitely don't like it here at all with it being the sun and the ref and all that stuff. So I could, I don't, I don't like it. I don't want to like see a bunch of that but i just i thought amino looked phenomenal here i really did i thought again like the facials and the spots and everything that he did like wrestling wise i thought was was executed super well jay what did you think of uh of the match 
I really enjoyed this match. Um, like I said, I think this was this, and then the main event was better than anything on on the Gold Rush show. Um, with Umino and um, and Osprey, like you guys said, that it was better than the Rev Pro match. Did you guys see the Royal Quest match, the Royal Quest Two match? Um, do you guys say? Do you guys see that or no? No, I, 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 I didn't want to see that one. Okay. I think uh, if you saw that match... Oh, what are you going to say, Tim? I, I think that's what I'm talking about. When I say the Rev Pro match, I might be talking about the Royal Quest match. Because was the Rev Wait. Pro match like from when Amino was a... Are you talking about like a Rev Pro match that was Amino as a young lion? No, like the... What didn't didn't Osprey and Aminu have a match in Rev Pro proper where like Aminu was it was like earlier in the pandemic? Yeah, that's that, that, yeah, yeah, that's what I was talking about. And I'm like, well, hold on, I guess we just okay, okay. Why we have, why we have cage match? So yeah, I'm pulling it up because I think I think I was talking about the the match that you're talking about, um, Jay, the the Royal Quest match as the. As the single match, but they did have a Rev Pro undisputed heavyweight or British heavyweight championship match from twenty twenty. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, and that's, yeah, that's yeah. what I, and that's what I was talking about. Okay, yeah, that's not what I meant by the Rev Pro match, and I probably should have meant that because obviously that's actually a Rev Pro match. I was I was talking about the Royal Quest match um, when I said that this was better, but yeah, they've had three matches. Um, I didn't even remember the Rev Pro actual Rev Pro match from Uprising. Um, yeah, I actually I actually saw it. <laughs> that's the thing. I've seen all three of the matches, and I think this is the best out of the three. Um, I I think if I mean I think this was the most confident Amino has been. Um, I will agree with you on that. I I still agree that it's the best of the three. I was saying it was even better than the Royal Quest match. Yeah, yeah, and I think if you if you watch the Royal Quest match, it kind of built off that. And I don't, I'm I'm the opposite of you, Tim. I don't mind when a referee gets involved, and I think this kind of adds to Amino um, down the road where they're going to have to address this either in their backstage segment or whatnot, where Red Shoes has to say has to say I'm not refereeing any of your matches anymore. Like it's it has to stop. Like whenever if he gets he gets into another big match where where Aminu has to basically stop the match because um because he's taking too much punishment. Like I think that should be an added layer. And I think that's real interesting because um I'm trying to think of a an active if there's any there's any been an occurrence where an active wrestler that their father has been a referee at a, at a high level like this. I don't I can't think of it. Um, I mean, not with it history. being in storyline that it was the case. Yeah. 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 And to me, I think they have to um, have to get to a certain point where um, something like storyline wise just forces Red Shoes to be like, I am never refereeing any of his matches ever again. And it'll just make it'll just make it it'll make it. Uh, I think more interesting, especially if Amino comes to another title match and then Red Shoes, um, him being the secret senior referee, not being there, but just um, not being in the ring, but also just being like 
you know, they could show shots of him ringside just being, you know, a father, you know, and I think that's that's something that could be added there. But um, back to the match, I think the match was really, was incredible. And I think, um, I mean, it, like I said before, this was the most confidence I've seen uh, with Shota. I think maybe going down the road with, with Shota, maybe not this look, but maybe something similar or he needs to refine his look a little bit more. Um, I know with the shooter thing, he kind of took it, taken off with, with Moxley and stuff. And um, you could, you could tag him in the next coming year, especially with Moxley. Now he doesn't have the AEW title. Um, maybe Moxley could come in more for new, more new Japan shows, but um would show that I think this is just the, the beginning, kind of like what Jay White, you know, when he came back with the whole switchblade thing, it wasn't refined enough. Um, but I think Shota is going to get a big push um, for sure. And to me, he's, he's ready he, in ring. He's ready. And I think, I think it'll only get going to get better for him. It's just that he has to refine his look and his, the, the gimmick and whatnot, but he's, I think he could be a really big star for new Japan. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I really think they got something in yeah. with him. Yeah, they really want him to have this kind of, like, edge to him. And I don't know. Like, I feel like it's there, but, like, being a little heavy-handed with it probably isn't the way to go with it. I would kind of, like, maybe go for a way of, like, letting it speak for itself and everything, but, like, I'm just not sure that it fits his look right now to have this whole... Like like the like the roughneck thing, um, so yeah. definitely um, spend some time retooling it and thinking about what would make the act work more. But I feel like the thing is just a little heavy handed with whatever they're trying to be. Like he's a tough guy. He's no not he's no nonsense. This and that. He came up under the wing of John Moxley. We know how John Moxley is, and that's all good. But it, it just feels a little, it feels a little heavy handed, especially when. Shota still looks how he looks. Like he looks like he is like you know like the next like like the next version of Tanahashi. So when you so when you have this roughneck thing that you're being really heavy handed about, and that's how the guy looks, it it it, it, it feels like those things are going against each other, even if they shouldn't be. Yeah, and I mean part of the tough thing is that Shota is is in the class of guys who kind of got fucked over on their excursion. Because of the pandemic, um, you know, his his excursion was in Rev Pro during a time where he could barely have any matches. Um, and on top of that, yeah, it's like it's a little bit weird because is he the guy to pick up the mantle of Moxley? You know, and, and for us, we think about Moxley as the sick guy. But there's also like when Shota was the young boy of Moxley, this was... Moxley at the peak of his like blood sport trying to show that he was like into MMA and shoot stuff in the G1 was when they really like interacted and Moxley had not really like re-embraced his CZW roots at that point as much like coming out of WWE because really when he came he came out of WWE he showed up in AEW for a bit and then he was in the, the G1 and for the most part at that point he was like really hardcore into the shoot style stuff especially throughout the g1 you were not like really playing into that so so there is that whole thing because it's like who is moxley <laughs> who is shoda as who is shoda as moxley's apprentice is he 
he's not CZW Splitchwade Conspiracy, you know, Moxley's apprentice. He's G1, you know, Josh Barnett Bloodsport Moxley's apprentice. So what does he grow into? I don't know. And what's the roughneck and the jacket and all this stuff? We'll see. But I think I think we all agree that there's something there and he's got a great confidence swagger and, and the facial expressions and the look and everything is there and you just got to figure out who he is. He's got to become who Shota is rather than trying to be like, yeah, he's just got so many, so much overbearing stuff here with being, you know, the son of the ref and, you know, Moxley's son. And like, he needs to be his own guy. Um, main event. Um, I said that the IWGP women's title was Kari's belt from the beginning. I repeatedly said that so much so that coming into this match, for some reason, I thought that this was a title defense. I thought that that Kari was already the champion um, and didn't realize that this was the finals of the tournament um, until afterwards. Um, that said, Jay, what did you think of the match? Um, I thought it was great. Um, I might have it as... I mean, this is, I, I still think this is a New Japan show, but and technically it's the New Japan stardom show. It's the best stardom, quote unquote, stardom match of the year, I think. Um, this really took me back to um, the years 2015, 2016, 2017, where they were just, the, the era of freedom, where they just had incredible matches and, um, it it's it felt like I was watching Kari and Mayu in Corrigan all over again. Um, except like they're in Differaki in front of seven thousand people instead of seven hundred people. Um, I thought this was so great and so dramatic that they they got they got enough out of each other even in front of a clap crowd. Um to push that this was a big event um, and it really delivered what they needed to do in terms of showing what stardom is for real. Um, like if this was um, not to take a shot at TGSPW, but if this was like the Cyber Fight Festival and TGSPW had to close out the show, I don't think they could have done it. Not like what Storm did with this with this joint show, um, you know, and that's the thing you're dealing with Mayu and, and Kyrie, two of the best wrestlers of the last decade, in my opinion. Um, I was surprised that um, Kyrie went over a little bit because of the whole storyline with Mayu giving up the SWA title. Um, I thought if she came in with the SWA title, um, you know, it, w- it would add more to it a little bit. And honestly, if Julia wins, you could, you know, there's a matchup waiting in the wings for Julia and Mayu because they've gone the, tr- the the time limit draw the last couple of times and and Julia's half half Japanese, so you could bend the rules there and have, have it be technically an SWA title match along with the world title match if Julia wins. But um, just getting back to the the actual match with Kari and, and Mayu. Um, but yeah, it was phenomenal. 
love this match. Um, just it just reminded me how how great Kyrie is. Um, this is up there. This is up there with the the Mako series, the Io Shirai series, um, the match where Mayu where Mayu beat Kyrie for the Wonder of Stardom t- title. This is up there in Kyrie's match with Shayna Baszler at Evolution. Um, the matches with her, with Shayna at, at NXT TakeOver. And the, I, this really is, It's it really felt like Kyrie was fully back, fully back to what she was at the peak of her powers. And I really love this match. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Um, back-to-back night performances for both of them, really. But when you talk about all-time back-to-back performances, I mean, this is in that conversation for, like, yeah, all-time legendary with what Mayu did in the tables, ladders, and chairs the night before and what Kari did in the time limit draw with with um, Saya Kamatani the night before and then playing into that with the injury on Kari and... And not just playing into the you know the injury, but also playing into it being such a big weapon for her with the 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 insane elbow, you know, needing that arm that's injured and playing off of that repeatedly um throughout the match. Just phenomenal, like building up that storyline, the the aggression, and then the transition here. We don't get dark Kari here. This is more pure babyface Kari Sane here. Um like I said, I was not shocked because it was never a question in my mind that this belt was meant for her um, because Kari just has that international star kind of aura to her right now. Even if Mayu, everything that you could say about Mayu and the, the documentary and traveling and all this, I just I think that Kari is a bigger name and someone that you can tour throughout America and people are going to know who you're talking about. On top of the fact that she's really at the peak of her powers when it comes to in-ring performances right now. I mean, Kari Hojo was a, like this amazing wrestler that like what people were talking about constantly, and that's why she got signed. Um, but the run in WWE and everything that came out of that into this now, just I think people absolutely love her, and I just think that like she can definitely draw on top on shows. In America, in Japan, around the world, really, um, in a way that Mayu just probably can't. Um, that said, this is like the other, I think the other match on the show, this and the Osprey match probably could be in the conversation, but really, this match I could definitely see ending up in my match of the year conversation. I mean, the drama between the two, the execution, obviously, and being on in the main event of a new Japan show and really I I kind of like hinted at this earlier, but exposing a new Japan crowd to a main event that goes under 30 minutes, doesn't overdo it when it comes to big near falls really towards the end. There's a few, but there's also a lot of like one counts and a lot of like counters and things. and, And you don't need to just spam like choreographed, like, sequences over and over again that all end in a big two count like i just we've talked about it for a while that the stardom kind of house style trans transferring into the new japan house style but but also like it's not completely there and maybe we can like show this kind of match to the new japan fans and be a 
breath of fresh air that the main event, like I said, can stay under 30 minutes, that the main event doesn't have to have like over the top repeated big kickouts, repeated choreographed dancing, you know, finish like big near falls, but can just be kind of like a wrestling match and the finish just kind of comes at a natural spot. And I really enjoyed that. Uh, Quentin, what did you think of the match? And and maybe respond to my idea there that like it's kind of a good influence to have a new, uh, a stardom main event show the New Japan fans that like this can be another way for a main event to look. No, yeah. Um, I think for me that it was just nice to see the growth here when you think about how much time has changed and how much things have changed since the last time Kyrie and Mayu have had a singles match against each other is just a completely different uh completely different world really in wrestling since since their since their last singles match and Kyrie is obviously totally different and we see you know like the uh the dark the darker more aggressive Kyrie in Mayu's different like she's no longer like you know like the like the um like the like the Cinderella that was there getting left out or like the ugly duckling or anything like that or like the just the less accomplished she became the icon of stardom she became someone that like as time goes on she is going to be like she's going to be like the, the definitive wrestler of stardom history like that's just what Mayu gonna is gonna be if she isn't already and seeing how important this match felt just uh just in the history of the company like and yeah it's the IWGP women's title but like this is like stardom history there that was unraveling and to see Mayu as confident and poised as ever Kyrie Kyrie selling being just as good as ever and them reha- them rehashing uh maybe some old maybe some old spots we've seen in the past in different different encounters and everything there and just feeling like they didn't miss a beat like Kyrie has been back for some time now and she this isn't her first match back but Kyrie's only had like five or six matches since coming back and she was gone for and she was gone for two years and to come back and not only have this match but the match then the previous night with Saya just it, it just it just is a is a reminder of how special. Kyrie is so I love this I know I'm the ultimate Mayu uh I'm an ultimate beater of the drum for Mayu that she is an all-time great talent and she that, she that she should be regarded in the same breath as Kyrie and EO and I was glad to just see this because it felt like Mayu was treated as an equal as just as big of a star but when Kyrie's here and she's coming off with a WWE stint coming off of the time off, everything there, this just made sense for Kyrie. And even though there's similarities between the Bushy Road, between um, the stardom and uh, New Japan house styles at this point with the Bushy, with the Bushy Road connections, I do think there's enough differences there that makes it, um, that, do, that does at least give it some worthwhile as a main event, because it's definitely not, you're definitely not getting the same approach that you'd be getting from like the random Okada J white match. So from that, from that perspective, even if there are similarities, but just based on the companies that they are, that they're both under, I do think that the match that the, that the match itself and the style they worked, the pace they worked 
was different enough as to where if there were new eyes who hadn't seen Mayu and Kyrie before, and this was their first stardom style match, that it would be something that would catch their eye. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with you. And like I said, hopefully it'll be a sign for for the best to like expose people to something different. Your main event doesn't have to always look the same. Your main event can can have a uh, a little bit a little bit difference to it, especially with the drama in the background and the and the innate history between the two, and like you said, remixing old spots and bringing stuff back and all of that, but. But also, like, it can go a little bit quicker, and it can go. It can have like not as many big kickouts and all that. It can you can definitely have a different style of main event and still go home happy. The post match promo, amazing stuff. Like, you know, I don't think any of us are going to have anything negative to say about Kari as the champion here. Um, maybe I could understand Quentin if you wanted Mayu to win. Um, then you think that she should be the the focus of this, but I just. Again, I just go back to what I said from the very beginning. I've always thought that this belt was being invented for Kari to hold it. I just feel like she's the right champion, and like, uh, and I just think that this was the the right way to go. Even with the main event and the way that everything played out, I think they executed this perfectly. And it's just another, it's just another sign of like Bushi Road, Rossi, Gato. This whole conglomerate is just like rolling on as being this like. I don't know. Unstoppable force, man. You cannot like you cannot fuck with this vibe. Like th- this show feels like it gets New Japan back on track as actually being a big time company. We talked about stardom being promotion of the year. I think Quentin, I think you're on the same page as me. There's no question stardom promotion of the year. This is the Bushi Road conglomerate saying, let's take some of this you know, magical fairy dust that's going on right here in stardom and sprinkle it all over new Japan because they're, they're having good matches, but they just don't have buzz and let's make something come, come from this. I think they did it at the perfect time. And they're actually like transferring some of that heat from stardom over to new Japan so that maybe new Japan can get going again because they felt like they've stalled out. And I don't know if I'm crazy to say that, or if you guys agree, but it just felt like this hit at the right time. And like I said, this could be show of the year for me. No, I, I, I agree. I'm not quite with the show that, uh, there with the, uh, with the show of the year point, but I think that again, it's the name, just three is three of them. This is the daughters. Of, this is the daughters of stardom. Like if you're going to put anyone there in this spot in trust that in the main event of the first stardom, new Japan crossover show, that who's going to leave a lasting impression? Who do you trust to go out there and have a match that people are floored by? Yeah, the people I'd choose are probably Kyrie and Mayu, and they did exactly what they were supposed to do. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. No, no, I was, I was thinking absolutely, and um, I agree that it, it gave New Japan a boost just having stardom here. I mean, look... Um, they had the joint show with Noah earlier this year, that, that night three of Russell Kingdom, and it basically did the same number, you know, 7,000 people as it did for the Stardom show. Um, I don't know what that tells you. Um, I know there was cover restrictions a lot more back back earlier in the year in January, but um, 
it felt like there was a lot more buzz among Western fans, really hyped just to see Noah versus New Japan, and it didn't really pan out. Whereas um, there was less buzz going into the Stardom Historic Crossover Show, but coming out of it, there was more buzz coming out of it compared to the New Japan Noah show. Whereas people really looked at this show and were satisfied and, and um, you know, Tim, you're saying it's a show that you're contender. I mean, this is one of the memorable, this is probably for New Japan. It's one of the better shows of the year. I mean, I enjoyed this more than the battle arm show. And, and a lot of people said that the battle arm shows probably the best show they've done in the modern, in like the recent pandemic year, pandemic era. Um, I think this kind of blows it away um, in terms of just yeah. fun and the atmosphere of it. So um, for me, I don't know what that says, that they could draw the same amount of people for a stardom show, which no matter what you say, saying like, well, stardom is the sec, you know, second biggest promotion in Japan, we kind of know it's not really the case just because of the hardship of the pandemic. But at the same time, like... Um, Stardom has a lot of factors going against them and, you know, just pure sexism, you know, people are, some people are just not going to watch and some people get turned off by watching them, by watching stardom and just how um, the perceived notion that they're idol promotion, even though they're not really a big idol, idol promotion. And just for them to have this turnout and have a satisfying, satisfying show like this, um, huge pluses for me in my book that stardom did this with new Japan and um, come out with a fun show. I hopefully they'll have, have a good show, have a, a, a another show like this, you know? Yeah. They can forget to me, they could just forget. Um, I know they have a, a, uh, a partnership in, you know, with TV Asahi, they have a, a stake in new Japan. They have ownership stake, and I know TVSI also has ownership ownership stake in in Amoeba TV, which is uh, you know that basically generates Russell Universe and all the DDT and Noah and TGPW and all those you know the Cyberfight you know companies. So that was easy. That's why you know Noah and New Japan got with each other early in the year, but. Um, to me, this is this show and AEW, you know, Forbidden Door. I think those two shows kind of prove that New Japan doesn't really need anyone else. You know, they don't need. I mean, it's 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 good that they they do have shows with Noah. I know they had the Cork and Hall show with All Japan um, for the you know the 60th year anniversary of Cork and Hall. Um, but right now, it looks like Sardom AEW. Um, the, the two promotions that kind of grew through the pandemic, they're the ones that have given um, the best collaboration shows for New Japan. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, definitely agree with everything you said there, for the most part. Uh, questioning stardom as the number two promotion in Japan, I don't know about that, but either way, we'll talk about it more later. Um, I feel bad because I made both of you guys watch um, Nicole Matthews versus Edith Surreal, and we ended up not talking about it in the opening there. Um, Dust to uh, Parm, former guest of the podcast, Parm's promotion running their second show. We reviewed the Daniel Makabe versus Nicole Matthews match in the past. 
with uh Brian Quimby from Street Fight Radio, which was that was fun. That was a fun, weird thing that I did. I I apologize. Um but I guess real quick before we head out, I don't know. What do you guys think of the match? I thought it was really good. I would definitely recommend people check it out. We can give it a, a bigger review at some point later, maybe. I don't know. What do you think, Quentin? Uh yeah, I, I mean I thought I thought it was good. I don't really have like after right. three hours of recording, I don't really got a lot to yeah. say about it other yeah. than like it was good and that Nicole Matthews um really is like an all time great wrestler and that yes. uh like that she like hopefully as time goes on and people go through the archives and things that she gets more credit, but that's but that's all I got there, honestly. For sure. Jay, what do you think? Um it's funny. This was my first time ever seeing Eve the Surreal. Um, okay. So it was interesting to see how they would work um, in front, you know, and especially that intimate setting of an indie show. Um, it was not a lot of people. It's, you know, typical independent wrestling. And I thought it was, it was fun. And, um, you know, Nicole Matthews, like, like Quinn said, she's great. Um, yeah. you know, Edith was calling most of the match because <laughs> the way the framing of the mat, framing of uh of of the match, you know, some it looked like somebody was taken on their iPhone, um, with a you know with a with a extender or those iPhone extenders or, or whatever. But um, but yeah, like Nicole Nicole Matthews always liked her in Shimmer. Um, if you ever get a chance, uh, download the, the the Stream Shimmer app. If you got a Roku, um, check it out. Um, check it out. You know, put some put some money in the they praise X pocket or, or find some matches on YouTube of her and Shimmer in the old Shimmer days. Like Nicole Matthews was great. It was the first, and it actually it's funny that was the first time I've seen her since the May Young Classic, and I know, um, it was kind of kind of weird for her because i remember the match she had she had like a last minute wardrobe change and she had to like pull her pants up most of the match so like somebody yeah. like somebody and i think one of the producers forced her to change her wardrobe so that's why she was like tugging out her pants the whole time because it wasn't hers or whatever i think that was the story but um and it's kind of heartbreaking because you know you know this what you know the band afterwards and stuff but you know, I wish Nicole Matthews was working, uh, you know, AEW or somewhere, you know, somewhere on television weekly. Yeah, I mean, so. we've all said it. One of the one of the best, like, really, like someone who deserves a a, a much deeper dive for her career than we're gonna do right now. And then that, like I said, that match, tons of fun. But uh, people should definitely check it out. Check out Dust in general. Uh, Quentin, you want to close us out for the evening, please? Uh, I want to thank JML for joining us, for joining us once again here on the podcast. Um, I know that uh, it's not quite Observer Hall of Fame season anymore, but we're still we're still waiting to get those results and 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 everything. Knowing Dave, we're still gonna wait probably uh what a couple more months. At least, at least, at least until we're at least until we're getting those results. So, yeah, I mean, last year we got them in 
January, I I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to plug, you want to go ahead and plug yourself and the court in the court in the uh, the Corkin Tracker, the Hall of Fame Tracker. (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna say the I was gonna say the Corkin Tracker first, but like, (laughs) but the Hall of Fame Tracker. If you want to go ahead and plug those real quick. Yeah, I almost forgot I did the I used to do the Corkin Tracker. Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, uh, follow the account. Um. Twitter hasn't died yet, so follow the Twitter account, WHONHOF Tracker, uh, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame Tracker. We track uh, public ballot votes, and we are up to 69 public ballots. I'm so surprised that so many people have gotten ballots to us. Um, We're still waiting for some more. Uh, If Dave reveals his ballot, that would be 70. I just want to get to that, that good round number 70. Um, but 69 is not so bad, but um, we've already surpassed what we did last year. Um, so you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. Um, hopefully next year we'll get over 100. Um, hopefully Dave's, you know, stops increasing the voter base. I mean, he increased it now. We're probably going to think, I think last year was like around 300, 400 people there were voting i'm thinking now um between me and detlef detlef who is the backbone of this silly project well, not silly but you know some people think it's silly but he's the backbone of this project and he is a hall of fame because of this he's a hall of fame voter also and also happy that dave Meltzer himself yesterday followed the tracker account nice. so if dave could follow the account you could follow the account too that's my biggest thing um, so th- throughout this whole process, Detlef, he got an Observer Hall of Fame ballot. Um, I don't have one, but that's okay. Um, I kind of want to be the person on the outside, you know, not having, um, not being swayed anyway, any which way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, it's just been, it's been a fun, fun couple of years just doing this and, um, especially with this new infusion of tag teams. I've found, I've come across some really interesting ballots, but um, um, it's still, to me, it's still Hall of Fame season. Um, if you know somebody that has a Hall of Fame ballot and doesn't want to reveal their name publicly, but wants to wants to do it anonymously, you can do it also. We've gotten um, at least seven anonymous ballots um, added to the tracker. So if you are a Hall of Fame voter, and you don't want to put your name out there because we know how Twitter is and social media. They people just want to jump on on top of your palette and your picks. That's fine. You can do it anonymously. Um, and but yeah, I just want to get to that round number seventy. That's all I want um, for this <laughs> year. Um, so yeah, go to the go to the Hall of Fame tracker. Also, if you want to email us directly, it is w h o n h o f tracker at gmail.com. Again, that's W-O-N-H-O-F tracker at gmail.com. And the account is w o n h o f tracker on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at QT underscore Moody. You can follow Tim at Bone Dog's Wife. You can follow the podcast network at WDKWPN. And if you're feeling as so kind, so you can donate to us on coffee and fund our trip to Vancouver so that me and Tim could go commentate the next Dusk Pro show. Uh, Tim uh, Parman, Parman has already agreed to let us commentate. He hasn't, 
but we're just going to say that he did. And hopefully uh, you guys will fund these tickets. I got to go all the way from Maryland to Vancouver. So donate, 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 please. Donations. (laughs) Donations. Donate. I've got, I've honestly got enough money in my, uh, my train. I have a, like a train card. I could pay for my own Amtrak ticket. So if you guys, if people just pay enough money to fly Quentin out there, I'll pay my own way. Let's make this happen. But thank you all for listening and hope you're here next time. Some of the most intelligent women in the world is listening right now. And all the realest brothers is like, uh, get light with it. Day party to midnight with it. Ice wet like a fire hydrant hit it. Why the girls double dutch, I double my digits. Dice game pop, peace, I want love on my niggas. New York, New York, all sorts of bosses who walk the walk. Look how long the blocks is. Ruthless, close range, they shoot shit. Wall Street, racquetball, oysters, masseuses. Bourgeoisie, the moon y'all be. Then it's back to the hood where you knew I'd be. Driver's license in the face card, two IDs. Get light off the rose bottle we sip. New shorty in my life, she my lottery pick. And if the economy slips, she gon' ride with the kid. City girl like JT, MIA to the bridge. Get light. Get light with it. Get light. Yo, here, boy, hold up. Bring it back. Yeah, get light with it. Day party to midnight with it. Ice wet like a fire hydrant hit it. Why the girls double dutch, I double my digits. ATVs, quads with speed. Doing willies, black Lombard sneaks. Family first, I holiday feast. I constantly seek. Moments like this is peace to say the least. We used to play ball with girls, watch me play smooth. I had to try to be like Mike, a cool three point shooter. Couldn't be the loser, taking Gatorade from the cooler. Summer fall, win a New York girl smoking hookah. Grown ladies with Mercedes Benz keys and chimneys. Friendly as little kids on 10 speeds. Makes me want to have another seed. I'm simply getting light on the track. Ripley's, believe it or not, I'm still a cream of the crop. I was just a tender age of 18 on the charts. Wasn't even dreaming this far. Believe who you are, the sun doesn't even know it's a star. Get light with it. Day party to midnight with it. Ice wet like a fire hydrant hit it. Why the girls double dutch, I double my digits. Dice game pop, peace to my hustler niggas. New York, New York, all sorts of bosses who walk the walk. Look how long the blocks is. Ruthless, long range, they shoot shit. Party, that bullshit, that party, that bullshit.